Hey, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Brian. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts here. Today we're doing a very special interview um, for reaching a thousand subs. So thank you everyone who subscribed. Hope you continue to enjoy this content. Today we're actually going to interview Will himself. So we've talked about some of Will's backstory throughout many of the episodes and Will's kind of hinted at some different things, how it's kind of shaped his world. He had his first uh, Church Split video that we talked about, kind of where some of the ideas came from. But today we're going to kind of get into the nitty gritty. We're going to rip open your head a little bit, Will, and kind of see what's inside and see what makes him tick. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoy this. It's a little bit more of a personal episode. Uh, we did mine a little bit ago. So hopefully this is uh, just lets you get to know us a little bit better, right? You listen to us hopefully a lot and uh, well, and hopefully you get a better understanding of what makes us tick, where our ideas come from, and hopefully also show you that we're okay with changing our mind. And you'll see with Will's story that he's, he's changed his mind on several things. So uh, anyways, <laughs> Will, welcome to your own show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually the funny part was we were just talking about it before we we started filming or recording this. Like, wait, should I open? I'm like, yeah, it's a little weird if I'm like, hey, we're going to talk about me. We're going to talk about I. We're going to talk about number one. Sorry, no, Toby Keith. I'm not even a country music fan, but whenever I think about it, it's like, like yeah, that'd just be awkward. But we did want to, when we hit 1,000 subs, we wanted to ha release uh, personal episodes. And you, we, uh, I think at this point we haven't released uh, yours yet, but I think we're releasing yours here soon because we're like yeah. really close. So it's like, well, let's just get them both out uh, eventually. So that way you guys just know who we are. But yeah. Um, it's my life is interesting. I am almost 30 and I feel like in many ways I've experienced a lot of things in my life that make me like a 60 year old man <laughs> just, for whatever reason. God was just like, I think this one's a tough one. I'm just going to throw everything life can throw at him all at once. <laughs> and honestly, uh, many people would not like that, but I think honestly it helped me quite a bit because mainly because I'm such so hard headed. Yeah, so I need to be punched down into oblivion. Well, talk about that. Like, where did some of that that kind of uh, aggressiveness come from, or maybe that questioning attitude? How did that form, and what were some things in your childhood that kind of led to your personality as it is now? Oh, you mean my personality of cantankerous, <laughs> <Yes>. argumentative, <laughs> wanting to fight anything that moves? Everything I love about you. Will. <laughs> Everything I love about you. Um, so I, uh, yeah, my child. So. Yeah, I guess I've always been inquisitive. I've always been an inquisitive kid. I was always very nerdy, much to my dad's shame. <laughs> so for people who don't know, my dad is a man's man. Uh, he, he was an outdoorsman. I mean, this guy, I mean, he literally chopped trees down with his bare hands, killed bears with his shaving kit, the whole nine yards. My dad's a man's man. And then he had his son, and he was like, oh, finally, a son. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean he likes to read books? What, what do you mean he's a... What are you doing over there? Playing Legos? Like, well, put down that lightsaber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I'm super nerdy. Um, I loved music. Uh, music was like a huge thing for me in high school, especially. And so I get, but I've always been inquisitive. I've always had an inquisitive mind and a lot of those things like that most guys that most boys were interested in. I really wasn't. Yeah. And so it, it was really funny because uh, my, my dad tried his absolute best, but Fun fact, he did teach me quite a bit, so that's good. I've become, I became quasi handy, and then he gave me the skills to be able to handle things when I didn't know how to do them. So definitely helpful there. But it's funny because my dad and I now have kind of good laughs about some of that. But yeah, uh, yeah. So I think a lot of that stemmed from my background. I was raised in the Independent Fundamental Baptist. Now, what's funny is that. I was raised in a King James only church originally. Like that was when, like when I was like four or five, so barely remember it. Then we went to another church 
uh, for whatever given reason. I don't even know the whole situation there why. And then we moved to uh, where my I primarily grew up, and then we went to an independent fundamental Baptist church. But many people don't know the fact that like my church is like I always call it diet. I call it now diet IFB. Now that I've seen <laughs> the other side, <laughs> not full fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not the full thing. Like in fact, I don't think my pastor there at all was normally IFB himself. In fact, I know he wasn't. And uh, you know, he even told me one time he's like, we're like one way later. Oh yeah, we're, I'm, we're not King James only. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> How dare you, heathen? <laughs> yeah. And I thought this entire time you were a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, uh, you know, he. And, uh, but the thing is, because he, you know, we spoke out, preached out of the King James there, and it was just a suit. It attracted all those types, and we played friendly with them. So we'd have West Coast Baptist College come in. We'd have Crown College travel groups. We'd have all these. We'd yeah. have the different evangelists that everyone knew for that hard preaching. But it was funny because my my pastor himself, he wasn't the hard preaching. So, uh, but so growing up. To go back, I guess, uh, and I, I this, by the way, it is awkward because this is like, it's the vulnerable episode is telling more about yourself than you care the episode, the world to know, but spill the deets, spill the deets. <laughs> um, well, my, my family, we grew up doing foster care. For example, we had all sorts of foster kids. In, in fact, my two younger brothers, we adopted through the foster care system, Awesome. Um, which was super cool. Uh, you know, our family was, uh, but like any family, our mind was dysfunctional and mine was dysfunctional. I know everyone says there's this dysfunctional, but mine was like really dysfunctional. <laughs> um, just, I, I, just a couple highlights. I don't want to get into too much of the details, just, but um, I mean, literally, I like I held my mom down while she was arrested at one point, dragged away by the oh, police wow. for child abuse. Uh, my dad and I would get into it because uh, we both had really hard heads and so when we would get after we'd get after it and uh we 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 threw down a few times one time i gave my dad a two black eyes a broken nose and a concussion um that was <laughs> love uh, you dad yeah i love you <laughs> um to and it, it was one of those things where it's just in what what it really was is you know i know uh, my dad was trying to so badly keep the family together but he didn't know how to do it so he had, was trying to deal with that my, my mom had a lot of issues and it was a lot of a lot of those issues of themselves stemmed from childhood and it was learning how to reconcile those. And then over time, some of those issues snowballed and the rest of the family got caught in the snowball. Mm. And so I lived in, uh, I was, so as a child, I was, <laughs> this is very funny because this is probably a really weird will for you to think about. <laughs> as a child, I was this, like, I was so sensitive. Like somebody could just look at me and be like, Will, I'm disappointed in you. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, it was, I was, I'd be a mess. Back when you had a soul. Good Back enough. when I had a soul. <laughs> <laughs> but then over, over time with that, such a dysfunctional family with all the fighting and all the crazy. So what's funny is like we did the foster care system, but I'm pretty sure if like the foster system knew about half what was going on, us kids would have been in foster care, um, just with yeah. how some of the crazy stuff that happened. Uh, my my brother especially was morbidly abused uh, by by my mother. It was just, it was it was terrible. It was awful, and. Um, you know, and you know, I oftentimes say by the time I was about ten years old, I'd experienced every form of abuse out there. Um, you know, and some of it was from not even from wasn't necessarily from home. Some of it was from other people or whatever. Yeah. But I experienced it all in the first decade of my life, and then after that, it was just trying to figure out. And I really remember constantly questioning why. And I asked why about literally everything in my brain, but I wasn't very confident. I wasn't a confident kid. I was actually very, like I said, sensitive, very, not very confident, very introverted. I didn't know how to like express things, which is completely 
opposite <laughs> of what I am now. Uh, so what happened was when I when I was a teenager, uh, my sister went off to college. And my sister was kind of the super glue that kept the whole family together. And then when she left, I felt like, oh my goodness, some, there's no one now to stand in that gap. Mm -hmm. My dad has no pillar to lean on. My mom has no one to reason with. Uh, and sure as sure as anything could have happened, it just went downhill. So I tried to stand in the gap. But during this entire time, I was at the church. And we were there. If it was open, we were there. Yeah. Um, and that was, and this is where I talk a lot of times on this channel about authenticity, being open, being vulnerable. We talk about that, like just dealing with these issues because our family could put on a really good face. And yeah. In fact, I think my pastor is probably so sick of doing pastoral calls to our house. <laughs> God bless that man. You uh, probably wish he had caller ID back then. Yeah. <laughs> he would, like, seriously, when the family would have a giant spat, all sorts of fighting would ensue. And I'm talking, it got nasty. Like, people trying to jump out windows in my house. Yeah. Like, just out of pure anger. Uh, a gun got loaded a few times. I'm telling you, like, things got wild. Well, let me stop you there to ask you, like, so, you know, this is a Christian family that you're in, quote unquote, Christian family, right? You're going to church. Like, how did that affect you as a child in your early understanding of the gospel and seeing essentially those that are the closest to you not really acting out the biblical traditions and the and the the how Christ says to act inside families and inside communities. Well, when I was really young, it was very much just normal. Uh, I, I know that's for people that if you were raised in ever a home that had so much dysfunction, you know what I mean. You didn't really put two and two together. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so you're just kind of like, this is normal. This is how this is how life works, and it's fine. And then it wasn't until I was older that I started going, wait a minute, like this isn't connecting at all from the from the gospel I'm reading. We're we're being hypocritical. We're saying yeah. one thing at church and acting one way, but then at home we're another. And um, you know, and honestly, I can't say that's completely one. I don't blame either one of my parents or anything for that. In fact, anyone who knows me, I actually have a really like my dad and I have a great relationship that's and everything. Awesome. So it's not like it's not like oh my goodness, Will, do you even talk to your family? Uh, it's like yeah, no, I I, I, I still talk to family. It's mm -hmm. fine. It's it's you know honestly, there's there's more there's to talk about. Forgiveness and repentance at another time and another video on how this all should work. But um, so it's not like I'm bitter. But yes, for me, it was a struggle uh, eventually of it was more of a struggle of identity because as a, as a young boy, I didn't know who what to identify as. I wasn't confident because my word wants to try to be confident in a house of crazy. Oh, yeah. You know? So you just want to fly under that radar. And when if someone asks you a question, you didn't want to answer. You were just because you didn't know what was going to explode. I mean, I literally... Things exploded over anything. <laughs> like somebody didn't empty the dryer. Now we're gonna have a three-day over-the-top fight, throwing plates and screaming for for you know the next yeah. week. Sometimes you were living reality TV. Yeah, real seriously. <laughs> like Jerry Springer would have had an amazing time in our home. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, what's funny is that first when all this happened, you know, like my my dad, for example, he stepped up and was like, "I'm gonna yeah. fight for the family." And then over time, like he just got beat down with it. He's like, "This is just too much." And he just got to the point where he's like, "I just want it to end." So he would just kind of sometimes get quiet and complacent and just kind of stick to the corner. And mm -hmm. to his credit, I mean, this was going on for years. I'd be exhausted. I can't imagine. I'm I'm a new father. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, what was going on there? And honestly, I think there are chemical imbalances. I think there's some medical reasons for some of the things that took place. Um, but yeah, I guess as I grew older, I grew inquisitive, and I started realizing that 
one of these things is not like the other. You know, we're saying Bible and stuff here, but we're not living it. Yeah. Um, was it like a, did you ever have like a watershed moment where things kind of became very in focused on how wrong it was? Or was it just a gradual thing over time? Always knew it was wrong. Always knew it was wrong. But the watershed moment actually was the day my mom was arrested. Okay. That was a whole other thing. Because I was actually homeschooled too. So and how old were you then? 13, 14. Okay. Something like that. Um, and when I, you know, holding her down and seeing the police haul off your mom to jail and you're like, <laughs> well, that's <I'll>, a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that was, that happened. And what happened was, it was just this very much a, a hard moment of like, okay, what's going to happen to us? The police now know everything that's happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to get taken away? Is my mom ever coming back? Uh, if so, what do I do about my schooling? What do I do? I was taking violin at the time. I was involved in all these other things. I'm like, what's going to happen to my life? You know, oh, yeah. the, the, the only things that gave me comfort, essentially. Uh, and, you know, that was my watershed moment where it's like something's got to give. And oddly enough, the day my, my mom was arrested, uh, my youth pastor, so my dad had an appointment to go like house shopping with my youth pastor oh, and, and uh, <laughs> my poor youth pastor. <laughs> um, and uh, my dad totally forgot about it because that he was coming over because his wife just got arrested. <laughs> he had other things on his mind. Um, so my youth pastor shows up <clears throat> and just sees all of us in absolute mess. And he's like, okay, you know, you could just, he, he tried comforting us. And then what happened after that is that the church just kind of was like, okay. Oh. Never really got involved after that. They just knew we had problems at the house. Uh, my pastor would do pastoral calls. My, you know, my youth pastor would check on David primarily because he's the most abused one, but not like, I don't know, it never became a discipleship relationship. Uh, so what ended up happening, so this church was highly legalistic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Now, again... Not all leaders were, but the people who were in different positions were. So, like, you know, you had to, if you didn't cooperate in the the most exact kind of way, it was the end of the world. I remember every time I turned around, my youth pastor's wife was having a meltdown over something. Like, I could never do anything right. (laughs) And so what happened is that, like, so I couldn't dress right. I couldn't talk right. I couldn't behave right. And and on my natural, so what started happening is I also became more extroverted as I, I, maybe I don't know, it's puberty. I don't know. (laughs) I became more extroverted. But then that got, like, kind of beat out of me there, too. So what essentially happens at home is abusive, not healthy. I'm not enjoying myself <laughs> and uh, it's not, it's not healthy for me. And then I go to church and no one who was supposed to care about me really cared about me. And I guess at the time I didn't really realize I was seeking acceptance and just somebody to be like, Hey man, I'm your friend, lay it all down at our feet. Uh, and you know, just, I'll, I'll be there with you. That's all I really needed. And no. Um, so I felt very kind of alone at church. I had a friend, a, a friend of mine there at church, but he was from a super sheltered home, and so he couldn't quite relate with half the stuff that I was talking about. Yeah. Um, and so, and anyway, uh, his family didn't like my family, so they tried our, their very best to keep us away from each <laughs> other anyway. It was really funny. Um, so, and that's another thing. is like, so because of my family, and if some people knew the dysfunction of the family, or my family is considered worldly because we went to movies. <laughs> like, that's what's funny is we went to an IFB church, but my dad wasn't that way. Like, he was, like, still watching Saving Private Ryan with us kids. And then all, and <laughs> so it was, the inconsistency was there, right? Like, the church was legalistic, yeah. home wasn't. 
wasn't, but home was abusive, but then the church was not a secure place to deal, deal with these things. And it seems like they were less interested in engaging the problems. Well, it sounds like too, like some of the, the legalistic stuff almost doesn't seem to matter when you talk about your mom getting arrested and who's going to yell at you for watching a movie, right? I mean, those are completely different orders of magnitude of kind of issues. Actually, no, you're right. Cause that's, then that's what, what that right there is what started getting me. It was this whole, like, okay, my family is literally falling apart. I had to, my brother was thrown out. I pulled, I drove into my driveway in the middle of a, like a Michigan blizzard. And my brother was huddled up against the corner of the house in shorts and t-shirt because he was thrown out by my mom and just freezing cold. And I had to carry my brother oh my inside. Gosh. Um, and you know, definitely had words with, with her. Um, after a surgery, my mom got super abusive and I had to, and had to defend my brother physically and like all these different things. So, then I go to church and suddenly they're like, what is that music on your iPad? I don't like your music. That's, I literally was told one time, someone handed my iPod back and went, there's a lot of disappointing music on that iPod. And that was my youth pastor's wife because, of course, it was my youth pastor's wife. And it was like, okay, but you know what's happening at home and yeah. you're doing nothing. Almost fix, they're almost like pointing at the, the easy path of something to discipline on because they really don't know how to fix the other stuff. Yep. And so one day I finally asked my youth pastor, I was like, dude, we need to go out. I need to talk to you about what's going on. And uh, nothing really came of it. Just kind mm -hmm. of told him. He's like, yeah, well. And then I was just told by him. And the day I defended myself against my dad, who was at his breaking point, I was told both times, like, oh, that you should never talk to your parents like that. You just need to honor and obey your parents. <laughs> and of course that's the IFB answer to everything. Just, oh my gosh. you know, wives submit to your husbands, um, <clears throat> children obey and honor your father and mother. It's like, yeah, but what about in these situations where it's like, okay, I'm going to, um, obey me. Don't interrupt me as I beat another child. Nope. You can't do it. So I'm supposed to obey that. Yeah. It's like obeying Hitler. That's like, oh yeah, obey your go the governing authorities. It's like the people who abuse Romans 13. It's stupid. <laughs> uh, and that was, those were the watershed moments. Those were the watershed moments where I was like, screw this. I am over it. And I never stopped believing in God, but I definitely stopped caring about my walk with God because I was equating all the garbage at the church with all the garbage at home and all the lines were blurred. And so what I did is I went into the world. Uh, I actually had a really good friend of mine. Um, he's actually still really, he's a good guy. Uh, but you know, I got involved in the wrong groups, got around with the wrong girls, and I just did all the wrong things for a while, uh, for a very long while. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and my thing was, was I didn't care. Like, I, I just literally hit that point, that angsty teenager side of me, just, I don't care. I don't care. I'll fight anyone at this point. And so, and as Drew said the other day, he's like, yeah, this was, he said the picture's like, ah, this was back when Will was, there's too much fight me in one person. <laughs> and it was, I was very aggressive. And I think that was also a mirroring of my home environment. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, and at church, I was argumentative to anyone. And it seems like, cause no matter what, anyway, I couldn't make anyone happy. So I stopped caring. So then people were getting frustrated with me cause I didn't care about my responsibilities. I, uh, I applied to at church. And there was one time I even had church discipline to put on me, um, because, uh, I was with this girl. And so I was stripped from all my ministries. And, uh, then I, that right there also really got to me. I'm like, wait, wait, but my parents can teach Sunday school and you know everything that's going on at home. But yeah, because the hypocrisy there. Yeah. But you suspect me of sleeping with this girl right now. You don't even have physical evidence of such, but you suspect me of this. And so therefore, 
we we are disciplining you. And that was extremely frustrating. Well, uh, no wonder you had this kind of like fight me attitude, right? Because you're you're fighting at home all the time with people that you should be trusting. Then you're also fighting against this crazy legalism and also almost this abandonment from the church that should be there to at least give you this solace and, and allow you to focus on the gospel and something good in your life. And instead, they're just nitpicking at the stupid things. Exactly. Even when I went on missions trips, I, I told that one story on Preacher Boys. It's one of my favorite stories of like how stupid legalism is. I'll tell that real quick here because if someone hasn't watched my interview on Preacher Boys, it's fine. But one of my favorite <laughs> stupid moments, and I'm talking like this type of thing happened all the time in the IFB, and especially with my youth pastor's wife at the time, was just nothing can make this person happy. <laughs> um, I can't express that to you enough. So there was a, a living space that we all, that, oh, so we're, okay, never mind. Mission trip down to New Mexico. We're all down there and the boys could be downstairs and the girls could be like in this other part of the house and the, the, the pastor and the missionaries were going out for dinner on our last night there and they're like, all right, kids, guys can be here, girls can be there. The only place you guys can be mixed is in the living area. And the living area was like a single level that also, like, the living area had that part that opens up into the kitchen as well. Okay. And then it opens up. There's a door, a glass see-through door. I can't express this enough right now. <laughs> uh, and into the patio okay. outside. And we're hanging out. It's for hours. All the teens, like, who cares? Uh, we're all hanging out, having a good time. On the patio, in the kitchen, in the living space, because it's all one big open area. Well, they came back, and me and the girl I was dating at the time and uh, a friend of mine, we were out on the porch, and what ends up happening is they came back, the, my friend on the porch goes in, me and my girlfriend are still sitting outside, but again, open area, glass windows, <laughs> and I got in the biggest trouble for being al alone outside with a girl. <laughs> And I'm like, what are we going to do? Have sex right here on the patio? Like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I was, and they're like, well, you, we said the living room. I'm like, yeah, it's all connected. You, you pointed like the living room is all connected. That's the connected door. This is over here open. All of us assumed the same thing in the room. So apparently your instructions weren't very clear, but they're like, nope, you, she kept saying like over and over again, nope, you purposely disobeyed. You purposely disobeyed. I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> you just weren't clear. Oh my gosh. So I was very frustrated. I was downstairs and overnight I thought about it. I was like, you know, I'm going to go apologize to her for, for making, I'm going to make right. So I went up, Hey, I'm so sorry. Uh, was not my intent to disobey. I want you mm -hmm. to understand that, uh, you know, wasn't my intent. I wasn't trying to do that, but I did, you know, we did that assuming this, I just want you to understand that because mm -hmm. it was really bugging me because she, I mean, it came down hard and became this whole dramatic thing where a bunch of people were getting lambasted that night, but especially me. Um, I was going to say, did they actually go after the girl more than you? Like, in oh, no, no, no. Some it, it was mostly me. Thank goodness it wasn't You're the her. troublemaker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank goodness <laughs> it wasn't her because she wasn't really from a church family. So she... I'm glad they didn't go after any of them. That's good, um, at least. So, yeah. But it was one of those things where I was ticked at that point. Because then she goes, no, you did deliberately disobey me. And I was like, <laughs> okay, so even when I'm being humble, uh, it doesn't work. And then people wondered why I just became this guy who was like, fight me over literally everything. I'm just picturing this like the, you know, like the older brother, like holding his finger one inch from his sister. Like, I'm not touching you. And now I'm picturing like the third person that was out there with you. Like he's going through the glass door. Like you're sinning. You're not sinning. You're sinning. You're not sinning. <laughs> like just his presence is, is essentially creating this sin of yours unintentionally. <laughs> this whole thing is just crazy to me. Yeah. yeah and so it, it was like the sort of thing all the time. Um, if I, if you weren't at, all the practices you're going to get 
disciplined. If you were, if you did, did dress a certain way, I was getting into trouble. I mean, there were times I unintentionally broke the rules, didn't even know they were rules to break. Uh, like there was one time we were at a, at a Christian camp and my brother and I were talking. We, and you know, the whole point of getting with the Christian camp is that you mingle with other churches and you get yeah. to know each other. Well, we had some friends and there was this one girl uh, who was a new girl to church and she was talking to my brother and they were just hanging out and we were hanging out outside and talking and eventually people scatter and we mm-hmm. just kept talking because you know how long we all can talk oh, in yeah. the same spot. This will be a seven hour interview. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, we got in huge trouble because we were alone talking to this girl. Oh, and the two of you. Now there's two okay. of us. It's a real problem. <laughs> and I remember I was just like, dude, what, what the heck? We're outside. People are everywhere, except they're not like within 20 feet of us because people are starting to scatter, but what's the big deal? So anyway, that's that. So that is really what started turning me into like kind of what I am. I became more confident. I became mm-hmm. less caring. And now I'm to the point where it's like that super empathetic kid I look back at doesn't even seem like me anymore. Yeah. Like I look back and that honestly blows my mind that I ever used to be a super sensitive little empathetic kid who just cared about how everyone felt around him. And it was very different. Will I, they beat it out of you literally, (laughs) literally. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I guess my little bit of background there. So, um, and like I said, I have no bitterness toward anyone, uh, in my, in my family or even my, my old youth pastor, uh, and whatnot. I still, and Ironically, that's actually the, the, his wife, the youth pastor's wife, eventually left him for another man. So she was sleeping with and it was this whole crazy thing. So the most legalistic. Ironic. Yeah, the most <laughs> legalistic person fell from grace. So it's just funny to me that it's like, okay, so clearly that legalism of yours doesn't work. Because yeah. if it did, because it, it, what it does, legalism, just I've mentioned this in my other video, it just allows you to show up to a place and have a facade of being perfect. Mm-hmm. But deep side, you, deep and down, you can be rotten. Yeah, so you can look down your nose at other people. Exactly, it's a lot. Deep, it's a lot better than when, when you know the chinks in their armor, but they don't know the chinks in yours. Yeah. So it, that was that was the big thing. So, um, you know, I did lie a lot back then, and it was just because. I didn't want to tell the truth because every time I told the truth, I was literally told by one person, they took me into the, in the office and I was like, well, Will, tell me the truth on this. I'm not going to tell your parents because I know it's rough at home. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, but I don't believe you. You know, it was basically what yeah. I thought. So I played it safe. Sure enough, that conversation still got relayed to my parents. And I was like, see, son <laughs> of a gun, I can't trust any of y'all. Oh my goodness. Like, and you know what's going on at home, but you continue to, you, it was just unbelievable, the, the amount of stuff that we went through uh, as a family and how the church did nothing, but yeah. then they were so angry over the dumb little things that it just pushed me to a breaking point. So you're you're going essentially down this little downward spiral. You're getting more worldly. You're, you're getting more angsty. You're getting more argumentative, but somehow you end up at Bible college. So how, so <laughs> yeah, did, did like Jesus appear to you on some road or what happened exactly here? <laughs> what, what happened, Paul? Tell me all about it. Oh, no, no, that's actually the funny part is I, I remember uh, I knew the entire time I was living worldly, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was living carnally. I didn't care. And again, I just was past the point of caring. So what happened was, um, I don't know. I, I, I had made a mess in my life. My personal, so my family life was a mess. My church life was a mess. And then I made my personal social life a mess. I was in a terrible relationship. <laughs> uh, just so many different things that would, uh, I had experienced. And I realized I was like, you know, maybe, just maybe, I've been mad at the church and mad at God when I should be just mad at the church. Maybe it's okay to be righteously angry at the church, but still love God. And maybe I should try things his way a little bit. 
Well, and I think people are listening to that have had that, right? That we see that all the time when we talk to atheists and they're they're upset. It's almost like a an emotional response to God, probably because of some church thing. And you've explained several situations that are probably worse than most uh, atheists have experienced, and that caused them to leave. Exactly, and that's why it's like when atheists tell, talk to me about it, I'm like I empathize. I empathize there. Mm-hmm. One of the like three areas in my life I empathize with somebody. Um, like I get that. I know what you're talking about. But yeah. the problem is that you're you're doing a false equivocation. I was realizing that more and more. And then my youth pastor did a little Bible study once and I kid you, it was like this weird, like, like red ball, like a light bulb moment where he went, he said something about like the word of God is true and we need to live according to the word of God. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there and it was like this, this moment pricked in my heart and it was like, God was like, surrender your life to me and live by my word. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So wow. I, I committed, and I, I, what I started to do is I started researching the Bible myself. Instead of going by what everyone told me, like my, my legalistic youth group did, uh, I was and other people in the church, I just started reading it myself. First place I started was the book of John, and I was shocked by everything I read. It was like, this doesn't seem like the Jesus that has been taught to me. This doesn't seem like the the... Christ has been taught to me. Yeah. How Martin Luther of you. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I started killing and it was, I started reeling. It was, it was almost like uh, I, I was being reformed. Mm-hmm. God was making me in his own image at this point. And I, it's when I realized I was really living wrong. And so I started trying to get my life on track. Was I perfect? No. <laughs> I, was, I, had a, I had years, an entire lifetime of baggage to deal with. And sure. My bro- what? Sure. I yeah. mean, and I can see even too why, like now even, you really focus on personal responsibility. And it makes so much sense just hearing you talk about this now is because you were le- essentially letting life run you. You were letting your parents run your life. You were letting the church get you down and you really weren't putting any responsibility on yourself. And it seems like this, this change was you also causing yourself to have some own personal responsibility. Absolutely. No, no, that's exactly it. I actually re- remember distinctly thinking like, okay, you know what? Life is a bull. I, I th- like, I can eat, quote this right now in my brain. <laughs> life is a bull and I'm going to take it by the horns. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I am sick and tired of being pushed. I'm sick yeah. and tired of being pushed around and being told what to think. I'm going to know what to think. And that's why it's like people are like, oh, yeah, do you regret? Do you wish none of that happened to you? No. I'm glad it happened to me. It slapped me awake. It, it made me realize how dumb so many churches can be yeah. and how they promulgate stupid, unbiblical teachings. Sorry, just saying it. Um, it's like <laughs> it's, it's dumb. It's, it's asinine. It, it, they are pushing things that are hurting people. Uh, in so many churches that they've completely cultivated to the culture. Yeah. And instead of looking at things biblically, they look at things biblically and culturally, and culturally sometimes takes precedence over biblically. Yeah, which it shouldn't. <laughs> which it shouldn't. And I'm just over it. So I, at this point, I started studying, and I want to say that I had it all figured out. I really did not have it all figured out. But uh, one of the other watershed moments for me biblically thinking, uh, speaking was on Thanksgiving, my uh, my friend of mine, a uh, good guy, uh, the, he was like my only great friend in high school. And uh, him, he invited me over to his grandpa's house for Thanksgiving, and his uh, grandpa was... Um, um, uh, was pastor in, in town, and we sat down, and he busted out this like eighty dollar bottle of wine, grape juice. N- no, no wine. <laughs> <laughs> and he started pouring for something, and he looked at me. I'm like sixteen. I was like, what? He's like, he's like, yeah, we always just we always share wine on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm like, with everyone, I'm not even. A, he's like, shh. And they like poured me some. <laughs> and I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> like, it's wrong. It's wrong. Um, but of course, me being who I was, I was like, oh, whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. I would try. What, I, I looked at my buddy and he was like, the Bible says, and he says what I say now, the Bible says you can drink, just not get drunk. And I was like, 
I feel like you're wrong, but I'm going to try it anyway. <laughs> so I try it. I went back and I was like, I'm going to prove it wrong. He, he's got to be wrong. Yeah. I, I did it just not to be rude. I kept trying. I tried to justify myself. Looked, 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 looked. Couldn't, couldn't prove him wrong. Yeah, and what a disconcerting feeling, right? You're like, I thought I'm 100% convinced on this. Like, I know this to be true that every time the Bible talks about alcohol being bad, it's alcoholic. And every time it's talking about wine being good, well, that was clearly grape juice. And obviously, Jesus turned water into grape juice. Isn't that great? But now you're finding out, oh, no, like my whole idea of this was built on a false understanding of the Bible. Yeah, exactly. And that was like the first one. That was like the big Bible moment where I was like, something's not right. <laughs> but then I, so I decided at that point when I was like, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to go into ministry. I even announced it at church. I was like, God's called me into ministry. And I could almost sense a silent laughter across the room of the entire church. You're like, not Will. <laughs> yeah. This guy in ministry. Uh, okay. We've seen him as a teenager. That's a shipwreck. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, I don't blame him necessarily for it, but what would have been good is if somebody, at least somebody tried to be a Barnabas. You know, yeah. to, if I'm the Paul, like somebody be the Barnabas, like, all right, he clearly had a mess, but look, if this gets serious about it, let's try to get him serious about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, dude, that, so what I did is I started looking at Bible colleges and I was always told, you know, independent fundamental Baptist colleges, all the other ones are liberal and evil <laughs> and they don't take the Bible seriously. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so I was only looking, my sister went to crown and I was like, yeah, crown. Okay. But yeah. But that's all the way in Tennessee. I want to be close to home. <laughs> that was like my real reason. I was like, I just want to be close to home. I was dating a girl I really liked at the time. Real nice gal. Um, literally got nothing against her to this day. And um, and so I was like, you know what? Uh, there's this place called Fairhaven Baptist I found in Indiana, <laughs> and this is where I found what the true IFB was. I was I thought I had it bad. Then this place, I decided to go pay to go to prison. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, capitalism yeah. at its worst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went there, and it was a whole nother ball game. And this was like the legalism I'd experienced to the nth degree. And keep in mind, this is the guy who's like. I'm taking the Bible seriously, and the Bible says nothing about music. The Bible says the Bible says nothing about music. In fact, it encourages loud music. So therefore, y'all should be listening to heavy metal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like so, I kept going through this, and when I was there, I couldn't stand it. I mean, they had so many crazy rules. This is for an episode for another time. But I mean, you had to clock in and clock out if you're leaving your dorm. Um, you could only talk on the phone in two areas. They're public areas. Uh, you had wow. to, yeah, girls had to wear skirts even if it was freezing cold and icy out. Then they better just layer up underneath. I literally a friend of mine slipped on the ice, but she couldn't catch herself because when she put out her leg, um, she, it wasn't enough room in her skirt to be able to put out her leg fully. So she ended up falling on her face. Uh, and I was told, we were told <laughs> we couldn't catch them. I did anyway. I, I, there was actually one time uh, my you friend. You heathen. Yeah. You met one of my friends from Fairhaven, actually. I did. Uh, uh, she was up here and I actually helped her walk at one point. And, um, you know, uh, she even lost her mom there and we were like oh they're like you can't hug her you're a man you can't hug her i'm like her mom just died like are yeah. you kidding me like this things like that where it's like clearly we're supposed to be the body of christ and we're not being the body of christ because we're, we're concerned about superficiality and labeling it all as worldly well it's almost and i, I kind of just pictured in my head as you're saying this is you know a lot of the 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 ifb church right now would probably come after progressive christians and say they're they're over sexualizing children right everything's about sex and everything is is always a, a direction towards sex and now here you have like literally even comforting actions and someone that has had a loss in their family is is still centered around essentially sexualizing children and young adults yeah yeah like oh well yeah if you hug her clearly it's sexual you guys could have like a sexual feeling it's like 
no, she lost her mom. She's going to be crying. Yeah. That's, there's a difference. So I knew I wasn't going to last at this place. I was like, dude, I am a surprise. And I, I, they all knew I didn't fit in. I mean, I was even told one day that I needed new jeans because I had some fading on my jeans. And I was like, what? These are just my jeans, bro. Uh, they did laptop checks. They came oh through. And they're like, we need to see what's on your laptop. I was like, what? <coughs> Excuse me? Like, I mean, there's nothing there. At least in my mind, there's nothing there. But there was a bunch of worldly music on it. So I quickly did a wipe. Like, they were going through the rooms. And I was like, click, 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 click. Delete. Okay. You're deleting, like, Creed and Switch foot and so like the, this is like a little too worldly yeah, the, my, my early 2000s edgelord yeah no i was deleting that stuff oh man oh good times uh, that back when i really really enjoyed new music and now music is just trash but i think it was just me being an old guy i think yeah, that's you're getting old it's like the nature of an old once you get old that all the other music is trash right yeah. um so uh yeah i deleted all that it was it was nuts and you had to be up at 6 a.m or the 6 30 either way you had to be up then even if you worked the night shift i worked the night shift i get back at 4 30 and I had to be up by 6 30 you had to be in bed by 11 <laughs> um they I mean they would preach at you for taking a nap if you took a nap it would literally turn into you're lazy and it's like didn't Jesus take naps well we don't talk about what <laughs> Jesus does dude they don't care about what Jesus does you can't have a beard either there okay you had to be clean shaven your hair couldn't touch your ears even though Jesus probably went past his chin that doesn't matter they don't care what Jesus do, wants. They only they, or what Jesus did. They only care about what they think Jesus did. So, I can't even picture this. It doesn't even sound like real life. <laughs> I know that was what makes it funny when we do these things because you and I come from two different backgrounds, and you're like, "What?" I'm yeah. like, "I know, dude. It was nuts." Uh, so, uh, especially knowing you now, I can't see you like even being okay with any of these kind of rules. You're like, "No, this is ridiculous," but you're still growing in your faith and understanding the Bible. Right. Well, and that was the thing. So, uh, and this was that I think that's a great time to mention this as well. You have to remember, I was so used to faking it. So I never listened to the rules uh, when I was at my church, right? Like, I got yeah. tired of them. I went to the movies and stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh same thing when I went to college. Like, oh, whatever. It's just the same old thing. I don't I just fly under the radar like I always do. It's whatever. And so it was just, I was two-faced. And, um, you know, I was like, I'm not going to listen to some of this stuff. But, I mean, you know, I know all the other ones. They've compromised the Bible by not using a KJV and, like, all these <laughs> other weird thoughts that I had at the time still that I was working through. And essentially what it was was just me just doing what I knew, the only thing I knew. And I knew that uh, the, I knew the other ones were other colleges were bad. And so for me, I was like, it's, I'm willing to put up with some of the stupid here in order to not compromise God's word was like one of my excuses for okay. like, because of King James onlyism. I was like, well, the King James is the word of God. So I can't not go to somewhere that teaches not King James onlyism because now they are compromising the word of God, <laughs> even if they're more accurate on, say, alcohol. Yeah, you know, uh, and I had this idea: it's better to be too tight than too loose. Uh, so, so one of those weird fundy things were still with yeah. me in that sense. Uh, but I knew this place was crazy, so I was like, "But y'all are too tight." And yeah. So I left and I went to Crown College, and that 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 is where Will really changed. <laughs> <laughs> that is where things came to a, a major head. So. Um, yeah, want me to hop into Crown? I don't yeah, know. well, I think you, you made some good friendships there, right? Um, that's when you started really kind of debating on some of these biblical topics, really kind of, I think, coming into your own on some of these things like, okay, you're you're hearing something wrong instead of just faking it so that you can get by. Now you, you start essentially bucking the system a little bit. So talk about how that happened. Maybe even an example of one of your times where you really <laughs> make yeah. someone upset. <laughs> so essentially I got there and then my first year there was pretty great. 
Um, I, well, my, I talked to my buddy the other day. We just caught up from the same dorm, and we were talking about how that dorm 11 that year was an anomaly. <laughs> there was no fundies in it. We all were normal people. We were all like, we all like normal music. We all liked normal movies and we all would do wow. normal things. Like, you know, we're just people. Like, <laughs> what are the chances? People. <laughs> Everyone, even the RA, like, he was, he would like shred out on electric guitar when no one was around. Like, he, it, I was like, I found the weirdest bubble in the middle of a fundy place. <laughs> And uh, so I loved my first year there because I was like, these people are real and they're authentic and they were. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that changed the next year. They broke up that dorm and sent us all different places. And, and then it became miserable. But my first two weeks there, this happened. This was funny. Just some of those crazy things that happened because you're not allowed to be alone with a woman. Keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, I went to a, a, a frozen yogurt place on Wednesdays. They had half off Wednesdays. My buddy invited me. And I think he knew they were going to be there. But there was these friends that, that they're lady friends that we had met. And this is like two weeks in. Uh oh. So we walk, walk in and there's our lady friends. And we're like, oh, hey, what's up? And like I said, I think he set this thing up. I'm pretty sure he was just like, I want to hang out with friends. And I yeah. want to be a rebel because he was from Florida. And so why not? <laughs> um, but again, you're in the middle of a frozen yogurt place. So let's just keep that re on the real. Like this is Bible college rebellion. No, boy. You know, <laughs> I'm getting in, some froyo. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting some froyo in the middle of with, with mixed company in public. Oh man! <laughs> wow, you guys really lived on the edge. <laughs> we were we were so close to the edge. So we got that, and we sat down. We talked to him. Ah, we were probably talking about for about five ten minutes, and then we see the Crown College security car pull up, and come to find out, like the the vice president, one of their like their secretary saw Crown Crown students in there, reported it. Oh my gosh, his kids are. Oh my gosh, hold up. Is there like like a a Crown hotline? Like we're seeing some kids being worldly, like dial nine nine two, and that gets you kind to the, of yes, oh actually. Gosh. Like they literally encouraged. Think about this. So right now, you know how like. There's people on the left are encouraging people to report businesses that aren't that aren't behaving properly. Yeah. They were doing the same thing. They were the OG mass police. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, so this whole thing, uh, so he came in and he was like, and the girls like ditched. They were all super scared. They're all like, oh my gosh, he, Dr. Evans is here. Blah, 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 blah. Just ran oh off. Gosh. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, you boys in my office tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I remember I was so annoyed. I got in there. And and the guy who set the whole thing up, he just was smirking because he thought it was cool that he finally got in trouble at Bible college. <laughs> the other friend of mine was terrified out of his wits. And I'm just in the middle ticked off because everything I already told you about my yeah. life, at this point, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing to be in trouble for. So he gave me, he gave us demerits. He talked to us about rules and all of this. And I was like, I don't see what's wrong with it. He's like, well, this is the, what the handbook says. I'm like, okay, yeah, but am I supposed to ignore friends if I see them in public like how does this work yeah I feel like that's rude like you know uh so then it life continued on though after that at crown pretty uneventfully uh just the stupid rules still like a lot of dumb superficial rules that was like okay whatever but luckily the men's campus was like uh off campus from the rest of it so it was easy to fly under the radar but then there was other things that happened <laughs> so oh man where do I start with the rest because then it becomes crazy um one of them was uh, I worked at Hollister. I got a job at Hollister. I walked in. They literally basically offered me a job. And I was like, yeah, I need a job. So I guess I'm working at Hollister. <laughs> I hate this place, but cool. Um, yeah, you just smell like the cologne all the time. Goodness. It was the base. <laughs> it was actually the, the concept. It was like, oh, my gosh. This is, I'd enjoy this if it was a little bit quieter. Um, we and, hadn't been exposed to drums at all as a kid. So now I understand. It was like so <laughs> otherworldly to you. <laughs> Uh, well, no, my dad liked 80s music, so we were there fine. You go. Uh, but what ended up this crazy thing, so 
come to find out, that's not an approved workplace. And you're supposed to get like a work pass oh at this place. Uh, and I didn't submit it because I heard that there was that. I was like, okay, but whatever. Do they actually enforce that? I was like, that's stupid. I'm not going to doing paperwork for where I work. It's stupid. I I sell clothes. Like I'm part of selling clothes. And that's, yeah. I sell clothes. We have plenty of people that sell clothes. <laughs> I'm doing a work pass. It's stupid. Um, you're just trying to help people be modest. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> No, don't go with the don't, yeah. Don't go with the booty shorts, honey. Here, wear these long jeans. See, cover that up. Be modest. Let me pull my pocket ruler out so you know if you're being <laughs> biblical or not. <laughs> the creepiest guy at Hollister is what that. Why does this guy have a ruler in his pants? This is weird. <laughs> Carries a yardstick behind the behind the coat rack. Like, all right, <laughs> you whores of Babylon. <laughs> Oh goodness! So, but what happened was uh, another friend of mine was offered a job there, and he and I mentioned this in my Preacher Boys interview as well. But I I got a call from him, and he goes, "Hey, Will, uh, Doctor Evans wants to talk to us in his office." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay." He's like, "Yeah, I don't think it's good." And I was like, "What? Okay." <laughs> and I had already left the campus, so I was like, "Fine." I turned around and floored it down. I was like, "This is so dumb." I did, and I had no idea, but I figured because it was it was the person I was talking to. I was like, "It has something to do probably where we work." Mm-hmm. I could just see this being a problem because why wouldn't it be a problem? Because everything's a stupid problem at this dumb place. And so I walk in, I, and I I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm hearing that. No, keep in mind, I was off campus. Like they called me to come to them. Okay, <laughs> least you can do is have some patience. Dr. E is screaming at the top of his lungs, you know, where's Will? You wait till you tell him every minute he's not here is another demerit. I what and he's just screaming. <laughs> and I and coming from my abusive screaming background, mm-hmm. coming from all the crap I took at the church. And remember, my entire life was fighting. I heard that at the end of the hallway. I was like, oh. So it's going to be like that. <laughs> I can play ball. Yeah. So I got there. I sat down. I already had an attitude. I was like, dude, kick me out. Make my day. I'm done. Because um, it was a, that kind of behavior was ridiculous. Plus other things that had happened at Crown with other students. I was like, okay. Um, and he starts laying into me. And, uh, you know, he's like, that's not an appropriate place to work. I was like, why? And he goes, well, he's like, because the administration, it's a worldly company. They sell immodest clothes. I'm like, well, hold up, hold up. Where's your chapter and verse for that? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I don't have one, Mr. Hess. Oh, uh, no, that didn't come up. It just turned into, um, it was, uh, he was, he gave me this coy look, and he's like, well, the administration has said that <laughs> we, have, we have chosen that that's not an approved workplace. I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I was like, how does that make sense? I was like, do we have, don't we have people that work at other places? Like Walmart? Yeah, we have students that work at Walmart. They sell alcohol. They sell cigarettes. They sell music this place doesn't approve of, video games and everything else this place doesn't approve of, and the same clothes that you don't yeah. approve of. How, where do you draw your line? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he just kept giving me the same answer over and over what the administration has said. I was like, well, I don't care about that. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And he's like, well, you're going to have to quit there, and you're going to have to quit there now. And I was like, but if we don't put a two weeks notice here, you guys give us 50 demerits. Yeah. Now you're between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. He's like, well, we won't do that because now when it's not an approved workplace. I was like, so, and so I literally said, I was like, so you only care about your testimony at places you don't approve of. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> that was their excuse. Like, you have to put in your two weeks notice for the testimony of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, now you don't care about your testimony of Christ. <laughs> I was so unbelievably irritated. So uh, then at one point, uh, uh, um, oh, yeah, that was the other thing I said when the other lady was in there. uh, And I was like, I was like, when I mentioned Walmart and all this stuff, I was like, and they also sell condoms to minors. And you should have saw all the blood just rush from their faces. It was so funny. (laughs) Um, And 
basically I was told to get out of the office. Uh, he's giving me demerits and I had to quit. So, uh, luckily I got a job. I already had a job interview that week, but I had it set up. Uh, that was ridiculous. Um, that was because it's like, also you want me to keep paying my tuition, right? Then don't I need the job to pay the tuition that you want me to pay? Yeah. So, okay. What if I couldn't pay my tuition at the end of this month? Are you going to come after me? Like, how does this work? Like, uh, so then what I did after that was another thing that happened after that was uh, I accidentally uh, buzzed my head. That was probably one of the funniest things I've ever done to myself. So did you get too close to a fan or what happened there? <laughs> Got in a fight with a lawnmower and lost. Uh, no, I, uh, my, uh, I was with Callie at the time. We were dating. We had Easter pictures the next day, and I had been so busy I hadn't had a haircut. And I was like, well, my ears look terrible, so I need to at least trim up my ears. Don't do it. <laughs> that was the worst mistake ever. So I got one side looking good, and then I did the other side, and they're cheap clippers, and they just dug in uh -oh. and just jacked it up, and the only way to save it was to shave it all off. But then the next day, I had to interpret for the deaf in service, uh, you know, in the deaf ministry. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Evans came up to me again and told me I couldn't interpret. I was like, why? He's like, we have it in the rule book that you can't shave your head. I was like, I thought we just had to be off the ears. He's like, nope, you can't <laughs> shave your head. And I was like, okay. So we can have... But what about the balding students? Like, can we, how does this work? Yeah. Like, seems a little discriminatory. Uh, so um, I told him, we went back and forth and he, and he walked away and I was like, I'm doing it anyway. So I went up there and I literally told him, like, when he walked, I was like, well, God called me to interpret, God called me to reach the deaf, not to have long hair. <laughs> and, uh, like, well, this is where it was like, you could just tell I was getting just way grumpier and he just kept walking away and. I interpreted anyway, and that's I just started doing this sort of thing uh, with with my wife, and this is where rubber really started meeting the road. Oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> so, uh, and this is again me going. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. I've started everything starting to crash on itself. The yeah. whole idea of what's worldly, what's appearance of evil. What I would do in class because most of the classes were garbage, is I would do my own research. I'd be on the internet researching stuff and realizing that half the crap they're saying was just that crap, and I was like, because again, I surrendered to be biblical. And I'm now at the point where I'm like, this is not biblical. This is not the right place. I don't care what fundamentalists say. This isn't right. There's got to be better Christian Christianity out there. That's when I found the people of like uh, great speakers like Ravi Zacharias, which I know there's all this controversy with him right now. Um, you know, Francis Chan, and I know there's a lot of controversy with him right now. <laughs> but at the time, I found these other these guys. I was like, these guys sound really legit. And I started finding other people. I started listening to other theologians and realizing the fact that all the stuff that they talk at this place at crown half of these people don't speak with any theological press. Yeah. Um, when you said too, like, so as you grew up, you know, you're, it's made you this kind of argumentative person by nature. And then, you know, you're being confronted with essentially hypocrisy and you've decided that you're going to use the Bible as this essentially arbiter of truth, which you should, so that you at least learn that well. But now because you have, I think, this argumentative attitude, you're like, okay, well, I need to study this. I need to research this so that I can defend the truth. Yep. Whereas I think you see a lot of people, like we talked about earlier in the interview, about, you know, they flirt with atheism because they're just, they see the hypocrisy and they don't have that desire to prove them wrong. They're just like, forget this. You guys are all crazy. I'm just going to go do my own thing. So I think it's really cool. It's interesting. Your story actually allowed you to become more biblical because your early childhood made you argumentative and right. essentially questioning. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. It was me questioning everything at this point. And I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to strip everything bare of what I've learned before and I'm going to relearn everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was that really argument argumentative nature from the, from, and it was, and it wasn't because I was argumentative for the sake of being mean. I was argumentative for the sake of survival. 
Like you have to understand, I fought for in in the family every day just to survive. Just yeah. I mean, my brother would be served plain oatmeal for days on end in my home, uh, <laughs> while my mom would make like a three course meal just to make him suffer, and be like, wow. "You will eat the steak," and just like like that kind of thing. A child called it that book is like that level of crazy. Oh my goodness! And uh, what, so what ended up happening was like, yeah, I fought for the sake of survival, and then I have you know this guy who's far overweight. And I'm literally like the neck hanging out of his like I, I don't even know how to describe the amount of weight here. It's like you want to talk to me about appearance of evil. Meanwhile, what's going on here? Like again, I, it was funny because that's the irony of the IFB. They never talk about gluttony, which I really find ironic. <laughs> and it's like yeah. So I was so frustrated at this point. I started re researching and. Then I got with Callie, um, and that, and of course, I was still seeking. I, I was de desperately wanting to get married. I was definitely ready to get married. So I was dating around, and you know, probably talking to too many people, uh, trying to talk to too many girls at once, trying to figure out what to do in my life. Because at this point, yeah. again, I come to breaking point, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, I just want to start my own life. I'm ready to start my own life, and I want to meet somebody who's a good person. And long story short, I got with Callie. And, um, you know, she was like this golden child at Crown. So she had plenty of people running to her and be like, don't go with Will. Don't be with Will. Will's a terrible human <laughs> He's being. evil. <laughs> evil. Uh, He's a liberal. I got called. He a, worked at Hollister, didn't you hear? <laughs> I get literally got called a liberal all the time. And I'm like, I'm probably more conservative, politically speaking, than half of you all here. To be fair, though, you do look very liberal college professor. I do look like a, it's, my favorite, it's my favorite stunt to pull in people. They get comfortable thinking I'm liberal. Then I hit them with conservatism. Uh, <laughs> I'm get you a tweed jacket just for that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, people can say what they want about liberals, but at least they know how to dress nicely, okay? <laughs> but then what ended up happening was so me and Callie got together, and she was an off-campus student because she was older, and I, uh, we would never see each other. Like because of our schedules. So we started dating off campus, which is a big no-no. But remember, <laughs> I didn't care at this point. I was like, screw it. You know what? It's not, an, it's not a biblical rule. Fight me. You know, <laughs> back at that again. I'm just waiting to go back to the office. <laughs> yep. Send me back. I literally had 200 demerits at one point, basically, and I should have been kicked out long beforehand. <laughs> but because I would always argue my case, they couldn't do anything. Oh, yeah, about 80 of those demerits was because I wanted to go see my grandfather who died. Wow. Like he How had his funeral. You. And so what happened is I went, all right, I walked into the office and I was like, hey, just so you know, my grandpa just died. Um, my family needs help. I'm one of the few young men in the family. Mm -hmm. I was going to leave Wednesday to go out for the funeral, come back Monday or whatever. And instead of being like, oh man, I'm sorry, is your family okay? The words out of Dr. Evans' mouth was, that's not how this works. Oh boy. And I looked at <laughs> Those like, are literally fighting words to you. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, excuse me? And he starts talking about, oh, how, oh, where is it? It's like, it's in Michigan. And, you know, a 12 hour drive, this, that. And then he goes, mm -hmm. well, then what we'll do is we'll give you the day before the funeral to travel and the day, and the day of the funeral. Uh, and then you can travel back the next day. And I was like, well, there's the weekend there and we don't have class on the weekend. So uh, plus again, I'm going to be there for my family. Yeah. And he kept, kept trying to fight me back on it. And I looked at, I was like, dude, that's a 12 hour drive. Basically. Like you want me to drive 10 to 12 hours all the way up for one day, go for a funeral and then drive 12 hours back right away. It's like, that's just ridiculous. Well, it's, it's not a concert. You're not going there like, Hey, I got entertained at the funeral and I'm going to head home. It's like, you guys are grieving. You're, you're hugging family members. You're talking about memories you had. I, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. And so what I told him, I, I finally told him, I hit him with this when I walked out. I was like, I'm telling you what's happening. I'm not asking your permission. <laughs> and I left. And sure enough, I opened up my mailbox and demerit slips 
fell out. Because I pictured like Harry Potter with like all the, like the Hogwarts invites. <laughs> they're just they're coming through the. <laughs> Sorry for everyone who doesn't like Harry Potter, but that is a funny scene. And I'm thinking about it here with you. Like all these demerits are flying through the the chimney and stuff. <laughs> because I got ten demerits for every class I wasn't excused for. I got ten demerits for every chapel and every church service. I mean, it was just <laughs> poof, I flew out, and I was like, whatever. I literally grabbed it, paper clipped it, put a note. It's like at Grandpa's funeral, removed from my record, and I slid them underneath his door. And the next day, they popped in my mailbox. I slid them back under the oh door, and this continued on for a couple of weeks. Where I was like, "Nope, I reject your rejection." <laughs> the amount of passive aggressiveness coming from a faculty member for this kind of response to you is kind of impressive to me in general. <laughs> yeah, he was also stubborn. Um, <laughs> so then, what ended up happening with Callie? Back to that. I, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories though, with that one, where it's like the insanity of that. It's like I don't think I'd even heard that story from you. Uh, yeah, no, I just realized now. I'm like, okay, I, talk, I don't talk about that one enough, and I should. It's funny. But the one that I talk about the most is the one that affected me the most, which is actually the one with Callie. So mm-hmm. we dated off campus. Uh, it wasn't a lot. Like it was just, you know, we'd go out and we'd walk around downtown yeah. and call it good. Do some crack. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> and uh, and um, then uh, somehow word got out. And as I, I'm pretty sure, it, we, we don't know exactly, but we're pretty sure it's actually a guy who got kicked out of town for like flirting with a high school member anyway cool crazy thing because he worked where i worked and i think that's where he saw because she would after visitation come see me at work and give me a snack and she'd give me a kiss and she'd leave and you're not allowed to kiss there either but oh, again boy. i'm over here going i don't give a crap oh you're not supposed to touch women yeah. <laughs> at me bro <laughs> and uh and they'd always use that verse that paul says you know it's good for a man not to touch a woman where he's also talking about being completely celibate and like you know do the IFP thing where they like to take a, a, a like snap bite theology and apply it yeah. broadly out of context. Yeah, yeah, th- that that part. Then what happened was so we I got pulled out of class. You know, a class that I paid for. <clears throat> um, <laughs> got pulled out of class to have a conversation because they found out me and Kelly had been together. So I, I okay, at this point, and by together you just mean hanging out. <laughs> yeah, by, by hanging out. So I sat down with him in his office and he goes, Mister Hess. Uh, how long have you and Miss Brink been together? And I was like, I don't know, a while, <laughs> I guess, dating a couple months. And he's she like, cute. <laughs> and he's like, mm, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And he's like writing stuff down. He's like looking at me. I was like, uh huh. I know it's coming, and I know what's coming. I'm like, I can play my cards close to my chest. I don't give a crap, man. I'll play. It. I, I will <laughs> fight you all day. And that's actually what's funny is that that one with the Hollister thing. The friend of mine who's in the office. We walked. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just gave it to him like that!" Like, because everyone was scared of him. Like, Doctor Evans, he 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 actually would like bully male students all the time, and I think it drove him nuts because I was one of the few people that was like, mm, "I don't give a crap about you, dude. You you don't scare me." Well, that's the thing. Authoritarians hate is someone who bucks the system. Yeah, exactly. Well, he. I mean, he literally would grab like random students and put them in an arm bar and like throw hand his handcuffs on them as a joke. Wait, what? Yeah, like random students. Just, uh, uh, yeah, he would just. <laughs> he couldn't take a joke either. So remember the Froyo's incident. This is another funny thing. Um, the, where he had to show up and we were, we were at, uh, Froyo's, uh, the, the, the week before. Uh, and so it was the next Wednesday where it's half off again at Froyo's cause every Wednesday. <laughs> so I just thought I'd crack a joke to him. I thought this was funny. I went up to him. I was like, Hey, Dr. E. And I slapped him on the shoulder. He turns around and looks at me. I was like, so me and a bunch of friends were are going to Froyo's tonight. And I thought I'd just spare you the trip and invite you along. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And he was, and he was like, he like gets in my face, like Mr. S, that's not funny, and you are not going to. Da-da. And he just like laid into me. I was like, all right, bro, that's pretty funny. It's a little bit funny. 
it's a little bit funny. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like, we don't even have a sense of humor about our own j- rules. Like, yeah. let's have a joke with me, dude. But anyway, so back to Callie. I've alluded on this like four times. I've spider web. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he's writing down your little yeah, testimony. Yeah, he's writing down my little testimony. And he's like, have you had sexual relations with Miss Brink? And I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Like, first off, even if that's true, that's none of your business. Uh, I expect that you had a Bill Clinton impression ready at that point. <laughs> I do not have sex, sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> Although you were actually telling the truth. <laughs> I was like, bro, like, I was like, no, no, no. And we're go- so we're going through this. And he's, and he keeps trying to like, Oh, get me at every turn. It's like, no. And he kept asking, have you had sexual relations with her? No. Have you had sexual relations with her? No. And I was getting really frustrated. I was like, look, dude, if my life snapped in the room, this is the other, that same lady that was in there with the Hollister situation, that same lady's in the room. And I was like, I was like, you know what? Fine. What is she doing there? Is she like taking notes? Or? Yeah, she's like one of the administrators. So okay. she's like one of these people that keeps track of all this stuff. Okay, interesting. We, uh, a lot of people call her Little Miss Ray of Sunshine because she was not a little Ray of Sunshine. <laughs> she was really kind of cranky all the time. Very miserable person, it seemed like. Or she was just uptight. Who knows? But uh, he goes, and I was like, fine, you know what? Yes, yes. We run around every Friday night. We go downtown. We partied up at the gold at the Golden uh, was it the Golden Globe Club. We get hammered and slashed. We get, we run out the cheapest motel in the area and have the nastiest sex. I'd make a porn star blush. <laughs> And <laughs> I can feel like the lady in the room was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I was just so irritated at this point because it's like, how redundant is this? Yeah. You keep asking me a question. I keep giving the same answer. It's stupid. And of course, he used to be a cop. So he thinks he's really cool at interrogating people. Mm. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah it doesn't sound good at it, though. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and then uh, he looks at me he's like, Mr. Hess, I don't appreciate your attitude <laughs> and your sarcasm. I was like, well, I don't really appreciate you asking me the same stupid question over and over again and trying to pry yourself into my <laughs> life. So either you could take my answer as such and we can be done here. Or we can keep this going. Yeah. And uh, during this time, though, I didn't know, but they also, my wife, not my now, my now wife, but girlfriend at the time, was in the other uh, office being grilled by their the dean of women. <laughs> and they literally called her dad and w- and told him, like, yeah, she's been hanging out with this bad guy at school. Like, uh, this is almost verbatim. <laughs> that, you know, we don't really know what his intentions are. We think he's trying to take advantage of her. We can no longer guarantee your daughter's purity. Oh, my gosh. As if it's their thing to guarantee. It's like, <laughs> you're the institution. I actually said this to him. I was like, no. It's like, well, we're your spiritual authority. He's like, no, you're my institution of education. Yeah. And so far, you're pretty bad at it, you know? Slow your roll, guy. <laughs> yeah, like, hold, hold up. Um, and she... Uh, and they were like, well, you guys, it was like two weeks before graduation. So they told Callie, like, they're like, well, we're going to let you graduate, but like, you guys aren't allowed to contact each other. They're like, will we let you finish it out th- this semester and ke- keep your credits? So that was their way of showing mercy. Oh my gosh. Um, he actually uh, did pull up in front of me at one point after chapel and he's like, Mr. Has come here. And I walked up to him. I was like, what? And he's like, you hate me, don't you? <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't hate you. I'm just very disappointed in you. And it was like, he gave me a look. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm just over it. I'm over the unbiblical nonsense. And then I just walked off to my car. I was just, <laughs> I am the ultimate honey badger when I really don't care. Uh, like, this guy could kick me out like that if I, he wanted me to. I had enough demerits, too. He could just be like, all right, we'll pack your bags. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but what happened with that was when they called, now, Callie's family is much more conserved. Like, they're way more IFB. This put me on a bad leg with her family instantly. Her mom came to watch her graduate. They did. They even tried doing an intervention. They did a random fly down surprise. So they found out we were still together. Like her dad asked me to break up with her. I was like, I'm gonna oh, ask wow. that you break up with her and wait and not contact each other for six months. And if you guys still feel the same about each other, I'll pay for the wedding. And I was like, no. 
like, I was like, I feel like we should just fix things. Like, we should talk this through. Because he didn't ask me about the story. He didn't ask Callie about the story. He just yeah. went completely by the administration of the school. Well, because he's thinking he these are people he should be able to trust, too, That's right? his idea. Yep. And he can't, obviously. These guys are hypocrites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's like, yeah, but you're, you're trusting them over your own child. You haven't talked to your own child about this. You haven't yeah. confronted. And now, granted, my wife is one of the most timid people on planet Earth. So she wasn't also going out of her way to tell her parents either, like, it's all wrong. She was just like, I want this all to be over. Mm-hmm. I wish somebody would stop. And it, honestly, people should know enough to be able to have some decency. And again, even if it was true, even if there was, like, sexual relations stuff going on, it's not the school's business and nor is it anyone's business to behave that way. Yeah. So anyway, um, when I was, uh, this, this whole thing, uh, we're told not to contact each other. Uh, we couldn't contact each other at all. I kept contacting Callie. She's like, we're not supposed to be talking. What they find out? I was like, I know my rights. They can't legally ask for my phone. They cannot legally prove that. And I was like, they aren't keeping me away from you as long as you don't want to be away from me. Mm-hmm. And when her family started really disliking me and all this came, they flew, did a random surprise. They literally showed up at Callie's work unexpected. Basically be like, we're going to get lunch tonight and we're going to talk. And their whole thing was they wanted to get Callie back home to get her away from me. Oh, my goodness. Um, and again, I'm the bad boy. And I told Callie, she's like, I don't know what to do. I was like, well, tell them that I would like to be at dinner and I would like to work things out with them because I would like to chance to talk to them. Yeah. And, uh, and I told her, I was like, and if they do, if they do this, don't tell them this, but if they do this, I'll pay for the, I'll pay for everyone's meal. I had like $600 to my name. So like, <laughs> that's a big deal for me, <laughs> but I'm just like, I wanted to make right. And, uh, you know, I wanted them to realize that they were probably paranoid over nothing. Yeah. Um, and they, de- they declined. They told her no. And, uh, Callie ended up staying the night actually at mine and Wes, uh, my buddy Wes's apartment. We, we had our own apartment. She stayed the night there, slept on the couch, um, because she didn't want to go home. Cause that's where they kept trying to confront her. Oh, wow. And, of course, which I'm sure had a appearance of evil. Oh, yeah. How <laughs> dare you? How dare you? It's like, yeah, well, don't, maybe you should put, force people in terrible situations. You should be willing to listen. This is like the deck situation all over again with the glass door. <laughs> exactly. It is like the deck situation. <laughs> that, is, that, is the, that is the bane of my existence is this whole, like, overly over paranoia of sexual relations mm-hmm. as if, and that's the other thing in the IFB that was driving me nuts is that they treated sexual sins like they were way up here. And then everything else was like, mm, you know. Unless you're not wearing a tie or music, and then that was a big deal. But you know what? If you have like deep-rooted depression or all these other problems, where then it's fine. We don't talk about it. That was it was so <laughs> aggravating. But you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Me and Kelly, we moved away. We paid for our own wedding. Uh, we just started anew. Uh, I met my father-in-law the day before the wedding. <laughs> uh, he actually gave us our blessing at the wedding. He asked if he could do that, and I was like, I guess, sure. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, really after that, it became this, uh, it, God challenged my angry argumentative soul a little bit in the near future in our marriage. Cause now the fan, her family was trying to make right. They were sending us cards like every month and well, good for them. Yeah. I think that shows a lot of growth and yes, absolutely. And humbleness. But I wasn't ready for that because <laughs> I had to pay for the wedding. I, you know, when my wife was abandoned and not talked to for months, I was the one to comfort her. Uh, they actually took like her parents took away her ability to drive the car. They ripped they, it was in their name and they took her off their insurance to make sure she's going to drive that car. Oh wow! Um, so Callie had to go through a, a friend to get a car. Like there was just a lot of malicious thing trying to make her life as difficult as possibly to be with me. So then all of a sudden they're all like, "Oh yeah, now that you're married, we're we're cool with you because we want your marriage to be successful." And I was kind of I was in this <laughs> again. 
again, Mr. I'm pent up, ready to fight everybody. I was like, screw off. Like, you know, again, abusive background. Uh, the church was ridiculous. Uh, Fairhaven, ridiculous. Crown is ridiculous. Now, like, these people being ridiculous. Yeah. I was always like, I'm in the middle. Like, I'm like, I will swing at anybody at this point. <laughs> screw all of you. And, uh, you know, that's some bitterness there. And, yeah. you know, people were like, you know, people kept telling me, oh, well, you're just bitter. You didn't get over it. I'm like, yeah, you get over all of that, uh, like, spiritual, physical, emotional abuse uh, overnight. See how that goes for you, buddy. <laughs> well, I see it was a hard thing, too. Like, you grew up with a lot of distrust over parents, and now here you're having another yet confrontation with another set of parents in your life. And you're like, here we go again. More exactly. hypocrisy. And I can see why you, the claws would be out. So it's, it's good for you because that, that relationship obviously didn't stay that way. Right. You want to talk a little bit how that kind of yeah. reformed? Yeah. So uh, Callie's mom got very sick nine months into our marriage and they wanted, uh, they needed help with all the kids because my wife is one of 14. They needed some help with the kids and my wife wanted it to be, it to be her. Um, to go up there and help for two months. And I was like, we've been married for nine months. And after everything they put us through, now you want me to let go of you for two months so you could go be with these people who never give a crap about us? Mm-hmm. Really? Like, that was my idea. And uh, she had gone up to visit a week, but she really wanted to stay. And I didn't want her to. I kept saying no. In fact, it was like two in the morning, I think. I called her. Uh, God really worked in my heart. And I was like, stay. You stay. <laughs> and... Uh, that wasn't easy. I lived for two months by myself, nine months married, uh, working my normal job, doing my normal thing. Uh, we were moving to Virginia for a youth pastor position. And so I prepared the move and did everything myself and still on the edge and still frustrated with her family. I was very angry still. Yeah. Um, and then what ended up taking place was we went down to Virginia. I was youth pastoring uh, with some, and then long story short, her mom did end up passing away, but I, and I let my wife take care of her in hospice for like five months. This was like years later, but we ended up building a really good relationship over time. It took some time. I think part of it, they were cautious because I bit their heads off a few times after they had gone on the offense. They realized that I am equally uh, if not stronger than them on the offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, because generally speaking in the IFB, when, when, parents come after children, the children just obey, right? Like it's just, okay, yep, yes, ma- yes ma'am, yes sir. And the, they take the honor of your father and mother to the nth degree. And I don't think they were quite expecting somebody like me who has a giant bat <laughs> ready to swing at anybody. Um, well, just, that kind of makes me kind of curious too, like in the IFB, like this is what I don't understand. So you're a youth pastor this time. So are you considered a man of God? And where does that rank? Like uh, parental respect, man of God, like how does the IFB see that kind of hierarchy? Well, it was weird. That, that IFB church, they saw the own, the senior pastor as the real pastor, and then I was just the youth guy. Okay. Uh, they treated me like man of God status until they until it was inconvenient, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, more hypocrisy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a, it was constant. So, uh, but yeah, no, I actually have a great relationship with my father-in-law. In fact, I, I That's lo- awesome. love that man. I, I talked to him. We text. Uh, he got me a bunch of books, and we're him and I reading books, and I'm shooting him my thoughts, and and he prayed with me. He was actually the, the last person I talked to before. Before Eliana was born, uh, he prayed with me for safety. And right when he said amen, basically, the nurse came in and was like, your daughter's been born. She's doing great. <laughs> like, we have such a good relationship now. And I, it, it was funny because it was a couple years ago. I looked at my father and I was like, hey, by the way, all those things back in the day, sorry if I said anything too harsh. And he goes, dude, that was water under the bridge a long time ago. I was like, okay. As long yeah. as, and you know, I think he realized he probably was overly critical. I know I was probably too defensive. You know, instead of right when he asked me, I should have been like, okay, I feel like it, what a reasonable person would have done at the time would have been like, all right, look, I think you're misunderstanding some things. Let's, let's talk about this. I think there's some things that you don't understand uh, that you've been misinformed on. And instead of doing that, I was instantly like, 
why? This is stupid. And I was instantly on the defense of like, I'm going to, you're, you're at the end of the, you're at the end of my barrel. And I'm going to pull the trigger. Like I'm just over it. Yeah. And you know, that was my state at the time. Wasn't right, but whatever, maturity, growth, all that good jazz. Well, I think it shows too, like, you know, you're two godly men focused on the Bible, obviously have strong opinions on things and you both could, could find some humbling when you, you can find some unity in the truth. And I think, you know, some of the people that we may have upset recently with some of our um, discussions of IFB and other other um, sex Christianity, like it, it, it's still something that we can be hum, humble about, right? Like we're not saying we have the right answers, and I think even if you're, I think even more so if you're strong biblically and that you you want to use the Bible as an arbiter of truth, you use that to even correct yourself and you might be right. wrong and you might be a little humble and i see that so so cool that you two guys who are obviously pretty opinionated on things have have mended that relationship and it's really strong now absolutely well was, i think one of the things that kind of switched it for us was the fact that we both realized we're more alike than we are different yeah and that's exactly why we were both bullheaded because he's looking at me as the guy who he's heard about is trying to take advantage of his daughter I look at him as the guy who's misrepresenting me and mis and and misappropriating my motives. So uh, you can definitely see how those two ships sailed and missed each other. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, it ended up being this thing where, so as the youth pastor down there, and at this point I knew I wasn't fundamentalist, mm -hmm. uh, but I was at a fundamentalist church because all I knew. And I was like, and they seemed pretty laid back. So I was like, whatever, I can work here. They, yeah. they, it seemed pretty laid back, and it was. Um, until it wasn't. And uh, basically, there was this, uh, I found out about some sexual abuse of a kid in the past. And this person wasn't abused by this person, but the abuser was living in the home. And I, this person shouldn't have been living in the home. And I confronted the pastor about it because I found out some other things about the situation. The pastor's like, oh, yeah, we got to get him out of there. Like, we got we to take care of this. I'm like, okay, cool. Because I just found this out about this youth member. And, like, my youth member doesn't feel safe. And we yeah. really need to take care of it. And nothing ever got taken care of. Uh -oh. um, and I kept pressing, like, what's going on? You said this, and it's not happening. And long story short, I was like, you know what? Screw this. I am, you know what? Forget it. I, I'll, I'll do the, get in touch with the cops myself. But this, so I got in touch with their teacher, who this person had talked to about the abuse. And basically, long story short, teacher's like, oh, don't worry. Now that I know about it, I can hold, hold this individual until uh, the cops say it's okay to leave. Okay. So uh, I'll call the police. You hang tight. But you realize as soon as I pull the trigger, your world's turning upside down. I was like, yeah. yep, <laughs> I'm aware of it. But, of course, I'm over here like, <laughs> I've been born in hell. You think a few <laughs> flames are going to bother me? <laughs> I enjoy seeing the world burn uh, at this point. And uh, so, um, yeah, it happened. It, it, it That church split, oddly enough. And uh, the church split. A um, bunch of people still backed up the pastor who's actually trying to come to find out, basically brushed it under the rug. Then he, he held a whole private meeting of trying to defame me, but yet luckily the youth, they, the youth, uh, like the 18 year olds showed up to the meeting. He was like, well, no, no, you're not allowed to be here. Those are 21 and older have to, can be in here. You all can't be in As here. As God says. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, but the constitution says we can be at any church meeting when we're 18 years old. Uh oh, got him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, no, 21. They're like, nope, that's what the constitution says. We're sitting in this meeting because they knew the situation that mm -hmm. he was trying to cover it up. And, uh, you know, for it to save his own skin. So it turned into, oh, yeah, Will's watching rated X movies with the kids. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Do those even exist? I don't I, even that's know. What I, I've heard of this rated X, and I don't know what it is outside of the fact that you can look at. I'm also like, watching movies like that with the kids. Dude, do you even understand the age of the Internet now? Kids have Google for that. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, what else did I do that was the other? Oh, yeah, I sent them very vulgar and heinous texts. And then one of the youth kids was like. <laughs> 
<laughs> one of their families too was in there because the, one of the other families that had been hurt by the abuse as well was in, in that room waiting to see how he was going to react. They weren't there to make him lose his job. Yeah. They were just there to see, is he going to do the right thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, can we see the text? It's like, oh, no, no, they're too vulgar. I could never share it at a church. And like, <laughs> oh, that's convenient. You know, so I kind of cat out of the bag, a bunch of people left. Um, and, you know, we came, and that, luckily at that point, we were offered the position here up in Michigan. And the rest is history. That's where I took over as a pastorate. And then, you know, I grew a lot at that point because I, I, at this point, shedded King James Onlyism. Dr. James White, uh, I read his book, and that really broke my brain. And I kept studying it and realized I was stupid uh, for even <laughs> believing in the first place. And then it just continued on. Then that's when we, and then eventually, you know, we had that first church split. Uh, and that's, and I don't think people were quite ready for the, for the fact that I can bring it uh, at that point. And at this point I had, it wasn't even bitter or angry. I had grown past all that, you know, uh, over the year and that my mother-in-law hadn't passed yet. We had a good relationship with them, but at this point I just known how to fight. I had known how to take the truth out. Uh, I've known how to study and that's, that's really brings us to the point of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you, that's a long, that's a very long story of Will rambling about all the tragedies of his life. But literally my life is one of those ones that are built up. That's built up more on tragedy than it is on positivity. And I think it goes to show the fact that you can rise above your circumstances, uh, no matter what. In fact, my brother might be on sometime on our channel. He's starting his own podcast. So we might have him on to tell, talk his story through a little bit on being abused in the foster system and things yeah. like that. But well, the thing is, it came really down to like, okay, during these things, you can't, you're not in control of everything, right? Like we're not in control of everything, but you can control that which you can. You can control your responses. And that's yeah. what I started kind of knowing, learning more and more is I can control my responses. And, you know, also is if I'm going to say no or argue about something or have an opinion on something. I need to know the details before I, I formulate an opinion. I need to know why I believe what I believe. And that's when my study of philosophy, history, theology, I mean, I became obsessed, man. Like I was obsessive. I didn't even finish graduating Bible college, uh, you know, at that time. I wasn't, I was like, forget it. I'm done with all that. I can learn more better on my own. And I did. Well, you're, you're, cause you're coming at it from a perspective of, well, I need to know this information for whatever next battle comes up, right? Exactly. I'm going to get confronted with this. And that's some of the things that happened to me too, with just like, okay, I'm kind of diving into this theology and I'm kind of enjoying kind of testing these ideas out. So it's an interesting way of, of learning Bible when you're going, okay, well, how can I, how can I know this so Loctite that I can defend it? Right. And Paul right. talks about being able to give a defense for your faith. And that's, you come, you came at it from a little bit, maybe a sideways angle on you're actually defending your faith against the church where Paul was maybe talking about defending your faith against others or maybe Jews in, in, um, in ancient Israel. But it's interesting how it's, it's the same thing and you're coming to the same conclusions on I'm studying it so I can give a defense. Right. And that's what, why it's like, I went, I honestly say that I've had more friendly conversations with atheists than I've had oftentimes with a lot of Christians. And maybe it's because of the circles I was with a Christian. That's, that's not representative it's not a good representation of most Christianity. A lot of Christianity, it's not that way. Yeah. But in my experience in the circles I ran in, I fought like more against Christians than I did atheists. Atheists, we could have a conversation about it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, Christians are like this. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've, I've experienced it. <laughs> um, but then it also turned – I got this passion of what if – we as a church, as a group of people, as a body of believers reformed to be as biblical as physically possible. We became biblical. We became biblically centric, which means we casted out these, the taboos of the drinking that came up in the 1800s. So we, we cast out all these 
taboos of, oh, well, you know, we can't, good Christians don't talk like this. They don't talk about sex. They don't talk about these, you know, there's these taboo topics we avoid. Yeah. What if we as a church embrace biblicism and understanding it within its historical context and applying it? I was like, man, I feel like that would save our, us a lot of hassle and we would end up being coming more united. And what's funny is that it has brought a lot of unity, but also brings disunity because people really like their tradition. Oh, yeah. They love their tradition. They love the comfort it brings. They like feeling superior in their tradition. But the problem is, is that it's, it doesn't biblically stand up. So then I, be, so I became passionate about theology. Then I became passionate about apologetics. Once I felt like I had a really good grasp on theology, I was like, okay, that was fun, but I want to know more. And that's when I found apologetics. And then that's like basically the unending deep hole that just keeps going. Exactly. And that and history. Oh, it's awesome. And so I just, it was, and it was weird because like I said, I never had that crisis of faith of, I don't believe in God. I mean, I had a few times where I'm like, mm, is it true? But I could never get myself to ever be committed to it's not true because then just even the very questions of morality, meaning, destiny, identity, like these questions, it's like, dude, there is no proper answer after that. My life becomes meaningless. And there's a lot of these things that's like philosophically didn't make sense. And then also evidentially didn't make sense. So I could never commit to that. So what I turned into is, well, I just have to commit to truth and figure that out. And then that's when I started realizing that there's other biblical positions people hold, like tulip Calvinism or Arminianism or whatever, and they all are equally basing it on the Bible. Now, are some of them out of context or some of them maybe twisting things? Of course, somebody's wrong somewhere. You and I are Molinists, and we always say this, so we make nobody happy. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, like, four people in the world. What is it? Like, William Lane Craig, Braxton Hunter, uh, maybe Jonathan Pritchett. I don't know. I think he is one. And then uh, Tim Stratton. Those are probably the only people that would be happy about that. <laughs> uh, well, I think, too, so... I also understand that you have you have a passion for youth ministry, and I think yes. you see you see that because of your past. You see Absolutely. where you were failed by youth ministry, and I also can see how easily you could have gone to atheism or gone away from the church because the church was not supporting you, your family was not supporting you. So, talk a little bit about how you've used your experience to kind of reach out to youth and prepare them for the nasty world out there. I'm really glad you brought that up because actually, youth ministry is my largest passion. I have such a passion for teens, and now I have a passion for adults and stuff. To adults, especially because they need to equip their teens. Uh, but youth, I love discipling youth. Um, and that's because, like you said, the youth ministry completely failed me. I was left the man on an island. And when I needed somebody to disciple me, I didn't have the disciple. Even when I went to Bible college, I was the only kid at my church at Bible college. I never received a letter from church members. And which was, ex which exposed a lot for me. Yeah. It really showed that like, okay, I guess nobody really cares about me back home. Um, so I became passionate about youth because I know what, that's probably one of the best things I've done is, you know, when I'm a pastor, people think, well, you're a pastor. Your life is perfect. Yeah. You're a pastor. That's how you're supposed to pretend it is. At least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to be fair, I have a really good life. Like Callie and I, you, you guys hate it when we talk about this. We've been together seven years and we've never fought. It irritates the crap out of people. I will make you fight. I will make you fight. <laughs> we'll start stealing stuff uh, from each other. We disagree, but we've never <laughs> start stealing like the the, the uh, batteries out of the remotes and yeah. stuff to see us eventually have a meltdown. Will Callie took your Xbox controller? <laughs> <laughs> we've like so it's we have such a good life, and so what's funny is that we've had people like I've had kids like crying, but Will, you don't understand what it's like. I'm going through X, Y, and Z right now, and my favorite thing to sit down is go. Actually, I do. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Let me talk about how you can anchor yourself 
securely in your identity in Christ and in truth and not in possibilities. What if I told you there is a better way than the way you're being shown right now and that even in all that crap, you could be the light of your home? Because I started adapting that toward the end of my time at home was I was like, I'm going to live like Christ. So when they were freaking out, instead of jumping in, screaming with them, I'd sit in the chair and I'd look at them and I'd go, why are you acting this way? Yeah. And then it was just so disarming. It was like, oh, wow, yeah. It's almost it's like it's better to throw water on the fire than to throw more gasoline. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, too, like not to give you a big head here, but this is something I think it, Paul talk, or Peter talks about in First Peter with, you know, Christ suffered so, so that we feel like he has an understanding of our suffering, too. Like That's Christ true. suffered way worse than we probably have. And so... But we feel that camaraderie, right? We feel like that Jesus understands us because he experienced something similar. Right. Well, it's actually very humbling, like the betrayals like that Jesus faced. When I really understood betrayal, when I experienced church splits, which you could say the abuse, you could say that uh, my old church betrayed me, but because the emotional connection wasn't there because I was so irritated didn't, yeah. and angry, it didn't feel like a betrayal. It just felt like you are, are just living in wrong. You're living in the wrong world and I'm over here living in the right world. <laughs> but when I experienced betrayal, I understood, wow, that's what Jesus went through mm-hmm. and we betrayed him. You know, that, 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 that's a, a, yeah, definitely helps there. Um, also just with youth ministry, for example, it also made me have a burning to teach kids that their faith is not blind. You don't have blind faith. So I started teaching apologetics in the youth room. Uh, you remember that you were back. That's when you were joining. Oh, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, you know, asking kids fil- the philosophical questions, watching them wrestle with it. Then they come in the next week and have a new question. And then we did get to explore it together. And it was so cool because you saw the, uh, had one kid be like, Hey, I want to get together with you and learn how to defend my faith better. And so we've had a great relationship with him building it up. And he's like, wow, this is all really helpful. I didn't realize how much Christianity made sense. I'm like, I know. Yeah. Well, we would even, we were de- debating each other in the youth room in front of the youth and, and just picking a topic to argue about. I think one we picked like superhero or something like that, just some yeah. dumb ones. And then we did some theology ones too, but it allowed the youth to kind of watch a debate in real time and go, okay, well, that was an interesting point. And we get this criticism sometimes of people with us with, why are you always debating on Facebook? Why are you having these discussions? You know, isn't it easier just to kind of let them think what they think? You know, what are you Stop actually... So pushy. Yeah, what are you actually solving by having this discussion? You're not changing that person's mind. But I think we both really agree that the uh, observation of a debate is really important. And we have observed people debating now in public, in the public sphere. And we're like, Oh, that's a really great argument. And it's really good to see, okay, let's see the best argument against my position. Mm-hmm. Does it hold water? Do I feel like the floor falls from, from under me when I hear their argument or do I hear the other position go, Oh man, they really, you know, they really uh, had a better position or this one was so emotionally based and this one was a logical base. And when you can kind of show that for everyone, I think that really makes a difference. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Cause we would even point out, like, did you notice that that was an emotional argument? That was emotional manipulation that they were trying to get you. And mm-hmm. it's really funny because a lot of the kids were like, you started seeing light bulbs going off. And even though some of the kids, you know, at first you're like, what? This doesn't make sense. And after a while you, they were like, this actually makes a lot of sense. Like I'm now seeing the value of this. And I mean, shoot, you look, go back Acts 17, Acts 15, you go all the way back to like the debates that they had in ancient Judaism. It was like, dude, people have debated for the centuries yeah. in, in faith. And that's part of what makes it so amazing is the fact that we're challenging each other and we need to do that. So I was like, all right, let's challenge the teens. And one of the biggest things that annoyed me as a teenager was hearing the, 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 the shallow teaching of just like, oh, you know, we're going to talk about 
grace this week. What does grace mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, but I want robust. I remember we had one guy come in with an apologetics, and he was this random travel guy. He never came back, but he did one apologetic thing about, like, the Bible and dinosaurs or something like that. And I was fascinated, riveted, really. I was just there. I was like, this and I think that's the thing also maybe it's just the church environment for me wasn't built in a way that's good for my brain. I'm analytical. I, I, I thrive off of that. So maybe at a church where people want more practical faith is not as good for me. I, the practical thing I can apply once I understand the intellectual thing. Yeah. You know, so for me, my brain might just work differently. So for grace purposes, I think that's also a part of it. But with teens, they are told nowadays, especially that religion's stupid. It's a fairy tale, spaghetti monster in the sky, the whole nine yards. And it's like, guys, there is so much more to your faith that, than you know. So let's equip you. Yeah, yeah. Don't equivocate on going to movies or how, what kind of genes you have on or whatever. It's just, it's distracting from the point and it's, it's making the world look right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, well, yeah, these people are crazy. These are all arbitrary and we're supposed to be the ones teaching objectivity, objective truth. Uh, realism and all these things. And so that is, it really became passion. And then, so one of the things that annoyed me as a teen was the shallow teaching. I was like, I know all of this. I know this. I want something substantial to cling on to. And then, so the, the other thing was, is one of the things that annoyed me, like I said, was shallowness. So therefore teaching me, treating me like I'm a child and not a, a young adult. And so I treated all my teens like young adults. I taught like they were young adults. I was like, all right, this is basically going to be like a, a seminary course on this. We're going to really get into this. Yeah. And uh, there was one time my youth pastor did do a series like that, a theology that I really enjoyed. And he was like, this is going to be very college coursey. He even had questions and stuff. And I thrived on that. I was like, oh, finally, something to dig into. And, you know, I felt like the teens appreciate A lot of them said they did. Like, I really like it because it's not just we come to youth group and hear a moral story. We come to youth group and we learn something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had one girl come in, uh, you know her, she, but she came in and was like, I learned more here than I learned at school. And I was like, yeah, that's the way church should be. Church, you should come to not just look, grow spiritually and hear good things, but you should also get there to be equipped intellectually. You should walk out growing in every way, shape, and form. Well, and to your point too earlier about discipleship, like you're, how do you really have discipleship is, is have those youth be able to step into your life and be able to and see more than just maybe an hour and 15 minutes on a Wednesday exactly. for youth group, but actually, you know, have these deep discussions. Like we are literally just today having a, a long discussion about eternal security with a young lady and she's asking good questions. And I'm kind of like, I, I want to do this for the next four hours because you're asking good questions and we're having really good discussion and we're talking about Bible and we're examining it and you can, you can kind of see our perspective and we can see yours. And this, exchange yes. of ideas. Well, that's the other thing. So because I was the boy on the island, the, my idea of youth ministry turned into this idea of it can't just be a lesson. So yes, we equip them. So when oh, I was like, if we're going to give them lessons, we're going to give them something to learn. Mm-hmm. They're going to walk out equipped with something. So was turning my lessons into something substantial. I would work more hours on that than my sermon. Sermons was three points. And usually you're driving home to a singular point at a, in a sermon because you're, you know, that's the nature of a sermon. Wednesday night lessons, that's a whole nother ballgame. I take six hours alone on just prepping for a lesson like that mm-hmm. just because I took it so seriously. But the other thing was, was this, and we took, I mean, you might remember, we had four kids in our youth group. We grew it to like 40 for a while there. It was nuts. <laughs> and because it was also the personal relationships. It wasn't just we hang out here. It was, yeah. hey, 
why don't you and your friends come over? We're all going to watch a movie tonight and we're going to order pizza and we're just going to hang out. And it wasn't just the superficial hanging out. It was like, we're getting to know each other. I'm yeah. joking around. You're seeing Will in his full, like I did not put a mask on. And you know, and sometimes that bothered people in the church even. They didn't yeah. like, like yeah, I mean, that's why some of the church splits happened. They didn't like that. I was authentic, but you can say over the years, I got so sick and tired of wearing a dig on mask and <laughs> pretending I was somebody I wasn't. I was like, no, this is, this is authentic ministry and it works. Yeah. And so I brought these kids into my life. They'd be, it's like, no, when you were in my life, you were part of my life. You know, when Callie first got pregnant, I called a couple of the youth kids that we were really close to and let them know, Hey, she's pregnant. They're like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And one, one of them was like, I'm surprised you even called me. I was like, well, I felt like, you know, you're pretty close to us. So yeah. you should know. And that's, that's it. Uh, if you want to be successful, right at the camera, if you want to be successful in ministry, you have to be open and vulnerable. You have to let people into your life, not just teach them uh, a lesson one, an hour a week. And if you're going to teach them an hour a week or two hours a week, bring something good to the table. Don't just bring a simple Bible lesson that you printed off of like biblehub.com that they have as like in a lot of people's methods of Bible, Bible teaching. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Show them how to apply Bible, show them how to express the truth of the Bible, help them be able to actually discern context. Yeah. You know, that prevents a lot of the legalism just by being able to grasp context. <laughs> hermeneutics, man. Teach hermeneutics. How do I interpret this thing in front of me? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are the different views? And remember when I did Revelation, I was like, there's this view of this, this view, and this view. And I would like walk through the views, what I think is most probable, what do you guys think? And allowing them to wrestle with the ideas themselves. So treat them like they're smart. Because guess what? Teenagers are smart. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know there's a the really dumb teenager is the, the look, kid, teenagers tend to be emotionally kind of immature, you know, uh, more impulsive emotionally, but intellectually, they're just as equipped as somebody else. You can teach them. They are smart. They're, they're adults too, like they're young adults. And there's a reason why the Jews at, you know, the bar mikvah at 13 years old, yeah. you know, they treat, all right, 13 years old, you're a man now time to be an adult. They treated you like an adult and it was time to learn. And it's time, and I think a lot of teenagers thrive on that because in our society, we treat them like babies. And I think it's important to teach them the fact that, nope, you have personal responsibility. You know, uh, you, know you have personal responsibility in your life. You can control your life a little bit more. You can understand things. I know you're yeah. smart enough to do that. Uh, you know, you don't need to be like a grade school kid being spoon fed. And it worked. It was very helpful. So I don't know. I, I, youth ministry is one of my biggest passions just for that particular reason alone, uh, mainly because I can relate with teens who, ha who feel alienated in the world. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, uh, I, it also got, it make, gives me a passion to reach the adults who have been mistaught the Bible for years and decades. I can't tell you, we, you know, we have a, an older man at our church who came to our church and changed like 50% of his positions, probably at least under our teaching. And to this day, he's like, man, he's like, he, he, he goes, man, will you changed my life? And I'm like, no, I didn't change your life. It's just the word, yeah. the word of God changed your life. You just were holding on to legalistic things that you didn't realize were unbiblical. I, I may have been the messenger on this, but literally all you do is crack open that spine and really look at it and you'd be fine. Yeah. And that's, I think what it comes down to. So the church splits message, that's where it's born. It was born out of division in church. Uh, it really was. The church split was this idea that this crazy weird idea you and I had to do as a hobby, a little side fun thing to do that's yeah. turned into something actually substantial was let's take division. Let's try to bring unity into that church. Cause man, the church is so divided on stupid things. Let's teach people how to properly handle the word of God and let's, you know, those topics that nobody wants to talk about, 
Let's talk about them. Yeah. And I wanted to end because I thought about this. We get this, or you specifically, me sometimes, but you specifically get this this condemnation is that you're guilty of the sin of confidence. And I wanted to just have you address that as we close here because you get this so much. And I want, I think you can put into perspective after we've we've kind of heard your life story, how we've gotten to this point, you know, too much fighting you will when you're a younger kid and like where you are now and, and show and just talked about some of the things that you are really confident in now and things that you're still learning about and still things that you're examining and and how that's kind of affected your position and why you might seem confident sometimes even too much so that someone's calling it a sin. (laughs) (laughs) The sin of confidence. (laughs) That one always killed me because my favorite response to that is like, wait, I'm committing the sin of confidence? Like, yeah. And I'm like, are you confident of that? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Like, what kind of absurd accusation is that? Yes, I am confident in some of my beliefs, as you should be if you've done any study. Uh, And the biggest thing is, is, okay, it's either something's true or it's not. You know, Mm -hmm. it's either it's true or it's a falsehood. And if it's a falsehood, it needs to be knocked down. It's not something that... It's not that you're dumb. You shouldn't take it personally. Yeah. It, you know, um, too many people put their identity in their ideas, and it's like, no, it, your idea is separate from who you are. It's okay. So yeah, I there are certain things I'm very confident on. You know, uh, things I'm confident on uh, are things like the existence of God. I think the arguments for God's existence are are far weightier and f- bring far more to the table than any sin, than any argument against God. Most arguments against God just turn into, well, we don't know because we haven't seen him, even though all these other things demonstrate that of his existence. And, uh, or the, I am definitely, um, I'm confident in the infallibility of scripture. Like, yes, the Bible is infallible. And people go, well, you know, there's that inerrancy and infallible debate. I will just say infallible because, guys, it's it says everything it means to say on the subjects, subjects it means to say. And, you know, I'm confident in morality. Uh, you know, there, so there's lots of things I'm confident, but there's things I'm not confident on. For example, eschatology. The last part of that book, man, the, of the Bible... <laughs> I don't know. I, I ain't got a clue. <laughs> but it's like every time I read it, I'm like, I le- it's like every time I read it, I'm like, ooh, pre-wrath makes sense. And I read it, I'm like, oh, but amillennialism makes sense too. Then I'm like, oh, well, there's this post-mill thing. What's that? And then it's like, oh, what's this pre-trib? You know, it's like I look at it and it's like they all kind of have a case and they all have kind of holes in, yeah. their, in their theory. So I'm not confident there. I, I don't know. And I think that's okay. There's other things. Like I'm not completely confident in every historical um Context. That's one of the things I've been studying over the last year more and more is Old Testament history and Old Testament context. I, I like, and I mean all of it. I want to know all of it. In fact, I'm already probably start dropping some serious financial doozies on some books. <laughs> uh, I sent a bunch to Callie, and she's like, "Oh, these are expensive." I'm like, "Yep." <laughs> but you know, it's it, and you know, that's another thing. By the way, if you don't want to read but yet you want to sit there and know the truth on things, or you don't want to put the time to listen to things you're not going to learn. Yeah. Except that what you might find is not truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's probably one of the biggest things I, I have issue with where I'll send people things. They're like, Oh, where do you find the time to research this stuff? I'm like, all that time that you don't use for it. Like all of that downtime you have, why don't, what if you use half of your downtime for something productive? Just do, just, just commit to that. I'm going to learn something in my downtime on my lunch break today. I'm going to do something like just learn. I'm not confident in everything. Mm-hmm. I'm confident in certain things and there's no sin of confidence. There are certain things that you can know, uh, well, and you can know them certainly. No one would argue, you know, of basic reproduction, right? The biology of sex. Okay. This, this plus this equals baby. 
No one is going to argue that because it's true. It's a certainty. Well, is that, does that mean that's a set of confidence? Yeah. No, you just know it with certainty. And uh, this, yeah, so when, when I get accused of speaking too confident, it's like, well, would you rather me speak with zero confidence? And why are you even here? Yeah. Like, why would you even listen to, to a podcast if the guy who's talking is not certain about anything he's talking about? Yeah, uh, like, guys, you got to listen to this great podcast I'm listening to now. It's fantastic. The guy really is, an un, is unsure about everything he talks about, but it's really fascinating because he knows absolutely nothing. You should listen to it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, uh, okay, and, you know, am I wrong from time to time? Sure. I, I'm open to change. We, we engage uh, when I was going through our uh, – we got our 2020 YouTube report. I'm, did you see that pop in the email? Yeah. Okay. And I was reading it and it was like, you responded to 3,429 or something like that comments. And I'm like, yep, that sounds about <laughs> right. Because we are willing to engage and I'm willing to be proven wrong. And I have changed my position. Uh, I used to be a hardcore Arminian uh, and, and uh, I used to be an eternal security guy, once saved, always saved. And now I'm not a one saved, always saved guy. And I'm more of a Molinist than I am an Arminian. And, you know, I have changed my position. I've been proved wrong by you even. I've been proved wrong by you. And that's okay. I have no, I'm not here to preserve my ego, dude. Yeah. It's just I get annoyed when I get really, 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 really dumb objections. And people do category errors because people aren't thinking like uh, when my, in our Darwinism leads to uh, racism video. Yeah. Dude, uh, I had one guy who kept trying to talk to me about uh, molecular biology. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not talking. He's like, well, this is just how it works. This is my field of study. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's your field of study. I'm not talking about molecular biology here. I'm talking about the very nature of the origins of any of that biology at all. Like, and I'm like, talking about God. You're in my wheelhouse now, bro. <laughs> exactly. Like, so, and uh, you know, people don't realize that science and uh, the existence of God are actually category errors. Yeah. You know, uh, science deals with matter. God deals with things that he created the matter. Therefore, it's outside of matter. So you can't. They're not the yeah. same thing, and so you still need God, even in Darwinism. That's why I'm, I have no problem with theistic evolutionists. I don't, I don't find that I'm going to do an episode on that here soon. I don't find that a debate worth having. I'm just saying, like atheistic Darwinism doesn't make sense, and you know, people can argue with me all day on that. But it's like, dude, in order for this amazing universe to be created, there had to be a creator. It's pretty clear just by the evidence, uh, mathematical possibilities alone. And people are like, well, that's the sin of confidence. Oh, okay, so sue me. I believe that anything that begins to exist has to have a cause. That seems pretty scientific. I guess I'm too confident in that, but I yeah. Well, to your that. point about the com the comments too, like I think I hope we never feel like we're too big to still engage in the comments. I think that's one of the things we enjoy the most is, and we have some people that that comment a lot, and it's really interesting to kind of get to know them through the comments and have debates. And sometimes they, they watch the channel and they don't agree, and so we can still have these discussions. And I, I just appreciate that about a lot of our listeners that they 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 also have that desire for truth and my, where we might disagree great let's test out our positions and see which one seems to hold more water and give right. me your best argument because i don't want the worst argument and so it makes me feel better and i have this fake confidence i want the best argument let's see if, if my position still holds up and if it doesn't let's I need to think about it. Right. And that's actually one of the coolest things. Like, wait, there are some people I recognize their names in the comments. I've even emailed some back and forth. And it's so cool to be part of that community. And these people are just like, well, we're all seeking truth and we're all able. And the fact that no one should be above being challenged. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I should never be above being challenged. You shouldn't. None of our listeners should be. Uh, we should all be able to be challenged, and we should all be willing to engage that challenge. And you know what? Sometimes we might be wrong. And one thing that's nice is that we can have unity and some diversity. As long as we don't uh, compromise the fundamentals of the faith and the morality of God, I think we're doing pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, you know? Uh, and so it's really neat to see that. Uh, if, and if my, uh, if my episode on swearing showed me anything, <laughs> it's that a lot of people don't always agree with me. And that's okay. And I'm not like, over here like you have to agree with me i'm just gonna tell you what the bible says bro and i've yet to hear a biblical argument against that that episode so until you can give me a biblical uh, biblical argument yeah i'm i'm still holding my biblical position then so uh and that's what i say all the time like chapter and verse man let's talk about that uh and if we can go if we can hit that then we can go from there so well Will, this has been a lot of fun you know i even learn new things we talk all the time and i'm still hearing stories that you haven't told me and i think it's i hope everyone kind of appreciates this was kind of a raw moment where you get to understand will a little bit get to understand where he comes from when you see him in the comments you can go okay well maybe that's where you, I, I see that a little bit more i understand that position and hopefully that just gives context and yeah, we're looking think, for context in the bible we got context for will <laughs> yeah exactly well and i think that helps people to understand it's like look i'm not trying to dissent but this is my background this is the things i've been through and these are the things that concern me because of the things i've been through uh you know we see through our own perspective yeah and i think that alone is something worth to, to, to discussing is how your experiences do affect your views but then sometimes shedding your experiences in order to come to a conclusion of the truth. So, uh, yeah, I hope this gives some people some context of why we are the way we are, the way, why we tick the way we tick. You were Mr. Complacent yeah. who, who had to learn how to not be complacent. I was Mr. Always in the middle of a fight and finally got tired of the fighting and just wanted to start having conversations with people because I, yeah. I'm over or the fight fighting. about the right things. <laughs> yeah, like if we're going to if we're gonna do this, let's do this right. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate all, everyone who listens. I appreciate everyone who takes us seriously. Uh, a couple dorks uh, <laughs> living up here uh, for our wise stuff in the basement so we can do this sort of thing. So yeah. it's, it's exciting. Hope this was helpful for somebody out there or if nothing else informative, you can make, you can roast me later. And that's the other thing is like my story, I was far from perfect. And that's yeah. the, the whole thing is like, I was a really bad person. I was a mess. I was angry. I was violent. And I had a lot of problems I had to work through. And, you know, uh, that shows growth. Mm -hmm. So people are like, well, Will, you're never willing to admit that you're wrong. I'm like, no, I really, really am. Yeah. It's just, I've not heard a good reason why I'm wrong on this particular topic, but I'm more than willing to learn. Yeah. You know, and usually I don't argue, a con uh, I don't usually argue with somebody unless I'm really confident that I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm right here. Otherwise I just sit there as a, in the sidelines with popcorn going, I'm not sure where I stand yet. So I'm just going to listen to y'all for a while. <laughs> I've learned a long time ago. Don't open my mouth. If I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I still do, but Typically, I try to hold on to that. So, Well, thanks. We'll appreciate it. And, guys, uh, please put all your comments uh, in what you thought. I will mention some end time stuff. I think, all right, everyone give your best argument for what your favorite end times is. That might be a fun little discussion we have please in the comment do. section. <laughs> but uh, thanks for subscribing. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe. Um, thank you. Again, this is, uh, you know, our kind of excitement episode, our milestone episode for getting 1,000 subs. So thank you all for being a part of that. Thank you all for continuing listening. Um, and remember, we're just here to try to help everyone escape from echo 
chambers. You heard today Will escaping from several echo chambers and how it affected his life. Far too many. And so we're not looking to ruin the church. We're looking to improve the church because the church is supposed to be unified. And I, you know, I said this on on Twitter a few weeks ago. It was like, look, if if a tax collector and a zealot can find unity in Christ, uh, we certainly should be able to over our stupid minuscule American church differences. So <laughs> thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for subscribing. Thank you for listening to us talk. Hopefully this was exciting for you, interesting for you. Maybe this was completely boring and you're not even listening to this. So sorry you're not here. But anyways, thanks you guys for being with listeners and have a great night.